Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. What's up? It's you. I know, right? It's been a minute. Corner. The one and only. Tell me again, where are you in America? Um, I am in southern New England, Connecticut. In New England, Connecticut. That's somewhere in the middle west, northeast, south. It is. Uh, well, it's the <laughs> it's the Canadian northeast. Joke. That's yeah, a Canadian. It's word. definitely <laughs> south of Canada, for sure. Hey, no way, it's south of Canada. Jesus. Yeah, the east south. That, yeah, that is Great. crazy. I know. How's Who it knew? going, brother? It's going. It's a little maddening. This whole pandemic situation. I've been in my house for almost a month and a half now. Yeah, two two months for us here. It's getting a little old. Yeah, I I, fe- I I felt like I was over it after I finished Tiger King. <laughs> yeah, I actually ended up killing that, and my wife and I are on the Ozarks now. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ozarks, amazing, right? Yeah, it's very good. We just got on to the last season. But yeah, we've really just been binging shows at night and cleaning in the daytime and homeschooling. Well, my wife's doing most of the homeschooling. I'm not very good at teaching five-year-olds like I can teach 
20-year-olds. Right. Yeah. I mean, five-year-olds. They're they're just they're just uh they're just a little stupid, right? Yeah, and I just don't have the patience, unfortunately. <laughs> I can play games and teach him teach him about Jedi's and the Force and all that, like he yeah, wants. That's but awesome. That's I awesome. can't really, I can't really teach him about just basic grammar or math. You know, <laughs> you know what happened when I was five? When I was five, my dad pissed off my mom to high fucking heaven. No, yeah. sorry, not when I was five. Wait. In, no. Anyway, he pissed her off because I was, like, too young to speak, and he took me to re- Return of the Jedi. Because, as in his words, he said that he thought I would get something out of it. But she was <laughs> like, you just wanted to see it for yourself. And he's like, yep. <laughs> I wasn't five, I was two, I guess, or something like that. Two Whatever years old, huh? Yeah, wow. you know, and he like you know, and then the Dune movie came out. David Lynch's Dune, and he bought me all the toys, every awesome toy from Dune. He bought me, and like you know, I was too. I was, I was. He still was buying them for himself, you know that. Right? Yeah, I was playing with sticks and stones back then. Like, I think there's a, a home movie video, like sort of, uh, you know, Fred Savage. I remember that that old show, like you know, the windy thing, like. There's video footage of me at that same fucking time in my life, and I think the the it's it's titled uh, "Kicks Ball Eats Rake." And what do you see in the video? Jeez. Sure enough, you see me in some little gumboots and Oshkosh bagosh, run run up to a ball, kick it, and then eat a plastic rake, like <laughs> gnawing on it. You know, like so that's sort of the maturity level I was at when my dad took me to Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're pretty fortunate for actually seeing it in the theaters. The first, uh, the, I don't the think I saw story. it, brother. I don't yeah, think I yeah, saw yeah. It. No, I know what you mean. I mean, <laughs> I can I still. He, I feel like for I, all have, I know he left me in the car. <laughs> yeah, right. I still have brag rights saying I was the generation right before Episode One, where you could still fantasize about Obi Wan talking about how who Anakin was and how he became, you know. Darth Vader, like the fact that like I could just have that daydream about. I wonder how that happened, and then oh, literally yeah. 1999 comes out with Episode just, One, and and just shits on the whole canon. Yeah, but like at least it kind of like I was able to still have the daydreams of wonder about yeah. how that was going to come about at like seven, eight years before, old before Mannequin Skywalker ruined it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. You know, one of the the most horrific moments of my life was when my little half sister, who I love to death, and who's she's born February second, so the day after me. Plus, she, I, I got to name her. They picked my name for her, yeah. Even though, I, even though that was a name that I had for a drow elf in a D and D campaign, <laughs> they named her Marin. And she told me when I asked her when she was old enough, "Do you have you watched Star Wars? Do you like Star Wars?" She's like, "Yeah, I've seen it all." But I only like the original stuff. And I was like, oh, good. Thank God. She's like, yeah, I don't like that stuff with all the Darth Vader. Oh, my gosh. I was like, that's the original stuff. She's like, no, one, two, and three is the original. That's the good stuff. No, they weren't even thought of. Can you imagine how I felt when she said that to my face? I don't even. That's that's It was worse than when my wife told me she couldn't come home because she was busy having sex with someone else <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty uh bad but uh i know to compare I, those I, I mean 
Those are pretty. I'm, I'm, this is not. This is not the old Fred or RC podcast days, brother. This is the new and improved Magic Without Fears. Dude, it's been two years since our last two podcast. Years. You, did you know that you're the first person I ever interviewed? Really? Yeah. Well, I'm glad I broke that cherry because it was well, <laughs> well deserved. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't know why I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> it's not the first time I've heard a cherry joke, but dear God. <laughs> it, yeah, it was needed. <laughs> but, oh, Jesus dude, Christ. it's been two years. and Two kinda... years we connected on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. You you hit me up. because Well, no, did I hit you up? Because I wanted your books. I think we hit each other at the same time, like any good uh, uh, partnership. I wanted your Westcott book. I want it back. You know, uh, all that stuff. Everything I own now is totally gone by Dean or the Dean still have it? Oh, okay. Dean, yeah. Dean, yeah, he took everything, man. So yeah. an angel came to him and told him in a vision that he was my spiritual successor and that all that was mine is now his. And because I was trained as a priest, I'm, I'm naturally uh, born to pedophilia and oh, should be gosh. killed. And uh, That was his idea? Uh, that that was him, man. His epiphany? Know, that was his epiphany. That was his excuse to take my birth certificates, social insurance number, name change documents from when my mom did that when I was a child, bank statements, all my books. We're talking $200,000 library, uh, my sigillum de Amet, all my almost all of my magical tools. You name it, he took so, it. So Dean was the reason behind all that before you left? Yeah, and so when I was in England coming back from my European tour and I was going transferring airports between uh, in Toulouse, France, my account, or sorry, when I was heading to the airport in England to go to Toulouse, France to transfer to coming to California in March, my accounts were all hacked. All my stuff, I was locked out of everything. I found out yeah, when I, I remember got to California that. in July, he messaged someone and took credit for all the hackings. And Amazon contacted me allowed me to record them communicating to me the extent the Amazon web specialist said we've never seen hacking this severe in our programs ever and he took credit for it he's still on Instagram I have the I have the I yeah well, he's blocked me but I have the screenshots from a friend of mine who he messaged saying all of this stuff yikes so this is kind of what you ended up well I mean before you went to Europe, I mean, weren't you kind of getting harassed prior to that anyway? Well, I've, I've been being harassed ever since I put out my first YouTube video in 2007, you know? But yeah. being harassed is not the same thing as someone you love and trust deciding that an angel has told them to take all your shit. And, yeah, that's and, weird. And drain your bank accounts. You think you like, just loosely entrusted them? Like it just kind of was like a leap of faith before you leave. You just need someone to hold on to stuff, and then. Well, no, he he was like, I would love to to save you the money on your storage, and uh, this way I could study your books. Plus, if there's anything you need while you're over there, I can expedite it to you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know, I had been hanging out a lot with him and his mom at their house, so. I felt that these were quite good friends I had gotten to know over a year and a half. Like, right. I thought we were soul brothers. Right. But I think when he realized, when he saw all of my stuff and the value of it, mm. like, we're talking about, I was the photographer and archivist for the 
Golden Dawn International for seven years. Mm-hmm. All the photos, all the original documents, all the second order grade material, all my diaries, almost all of my diaries, like everything, like the yeah, knocking tools that have been consecrated from the original knocking tools in the British Library. Yeah, the, the list goes on and on. I mean, mostly I'm pissed off about the my legal documents and my family photo albums, you know. Yeah. Not to not to mention the books, like you know, the my first edition collection, which just the first editions alone are. So you basically kind of just handed him the storage key, and then he kind of just took full advantage. Yeah, from Europe, I called and gave them him permission to access it, and they let him in, and he took took the stuff, and he was really helpful at first, and then I came back. And I was went to see him in between because I had to come back from Europe. I had to, got stranded with my accounts being hacked in France. Right now, this was this was before Prague. Is after Prague after I did Atlantis Books and the lecturing at Canterbury. Okay, and I was transferring airplanes in Toulouse, France, to come to California because I had tour lecture dates all down California. I had a wedding for the Culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, anthropologist's wedding. I was invited to his wedding in, in Mexico and there's going to be this amazing three-day event. And then I had lectures booked all the way up through Austin, Texas, ending with Jeff Contreras's groups that I was starting to like, you know, I was going to do a ton of stuff and then I was going to come back to California. And all that got canceled because I got stuck in France with my accounts shut down and being told I had to appear in person at my bank branches in Vancouver, which I had no plans on going back there. Right. Cause I have no connections there anymore. Right. Except my mom and sister, but that's a whole other story. I mean, they're, you know, my mom's got, been fighting cancer for years and, uh, is, can't really function very well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, yeah, I was, you know, trapped in France and, and Toulouse made it, made it to Paris. And then fortunately in Prague, I had befriended, uh, a student who was the uh, oh you know connected I guess so the the ambassador of Peru to the Czech Republic pulled some strings dumped a ton of money and got me out of Europe even though I was completely shut down hmm. all because of my soul brother's actions and I, that that I only found out in July just last year. And yeah, I, I was not planning on talking about this at all, but I may as well, you know, like, you know, I lost everything, half a million dollars in assets and my entire business, my Facebook account shut down, my Fred RC Facebook account shut down with the thousands of dollars I had spent on Facebook ads to build up pages, business, all these things, yeah. all the products yeah. I was in the process of sending to people, they're all sitting in his place. And he, 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 he fucked everyone. He fucked me and fucked the world. And, right. uh, he's messed up. He's messed up, man. Um, I don't know what to say about that. I, I, I'm not really sure what the adult response is to that. He sounds like the dragon of the Hobbit, just sitting on all that fucking gold. Yeah. Smog. I mean, I didn't Stubborn. realize that he had such a severe drinking problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've actually often been bad at noticing those qualities in people throughout my life because I think it's because... I have a very strong sense of balance, you know, mm-hmm. like I can enjoy things without losing my mind. Like yeah. for me, the, my, my drug is my mind. I right. like my mind. I really like my mind. It's, it's not perfect, but it's fun. But if it doesn't function, if I can't think clearly, then I stop having fun. No, I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, when we talked on the, the last podcast, 
I kind of felt like I was in a very stressful, kind of just a dampering, dark point. I don't know if it was because, it, you know, like I admitted, like I was in a spiritual rut. I felt like there was a wall there. But at the same time, I was probably smoking my brains out every day, too, for like years. And then and then I never really got a gave it a break until recently. I've been like sober for maybe seven months now. Which is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you got to take breaks. Yeah, especially like with a 10 year hiatus of just, you know, learning the great work, but at the same time, forgetting the great work because you're just a big cannabis head and you won't stop because it just was so available at the time. But now it's like things have slowed down. I'm getting older and my social life's a little more slower so I can focus more on studies and my family that I can actually use this opportunity to get a better job and really kind of just take advantage of where I left off with the great work and it's kind of just what what I'm doing now especially during this whole pandemic for the most part this is really a good time to really be the hermit that I felt like I've been called to be since like 2011 2010 when I got a Freighter Francesco, Mr. Zink. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, you know he's a grandfather now? Oh, who had a kid? Uh, his son? Yeah, yeah, let's not say the names because, um, we no, don't, I don't know him off the top him. of my head. We don't, yeah, that's that's well, that's he, they have the same name, which is why we call him Voldemort, right? We call him Voldemort because we don't want to fuck around with his kid's life. No, yeah, yeah. You know. I was yeah. I was talking with uh, his kid's mom just the other year. You know, she became quite an activist, actually. But she was, you know, she was greatly honored. Soar RD, mm-hmm. and she she initiated me into Portal. And amazing person, but no, the damage that uh, yeah, he didn't this, he didn't really get did. back to me for the last two years well, now. Ever since he kind of started his whole laws of attraction uh, yeah. workshop, yeah. But I mean, he did get me, get the ball rolling for me. Well, that's the thing. I, you know, here's an interesting topic. At least for the I golden often, dawn. I often come back to this point. It seems that a lot of amazing groups and organizations are formed by these reprehensible people, like Alistair right. Crowley, among them, in my opinion. Mm. You know, um, like Crowley took advantage of people. No one, no one disputes that, and right. yet. If it wasn't for him, I'm not sure if we'd have what we have these days. Well, with the Equinox leak. <clears throat> with all of it, with, with just the entire ethos of the Western mystery tradition being a powerful force worth exploring. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think the lodge that Rigardi was in would have let it out until he let it out. And I don't think... The Where Raw Temple would have let anything out if, if Regardi didn't really already yeah. leak it out. And if it wasn't for Crowley, I don't really feel like Regardi would have been as compelled, even with where his lodge was headed, which yeah. I don't know. I mean, if you want to get into the details, it's, it, it just seemed like it, you know, secrecy was more coveted than the very work itself. That is very well said. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, it's like people get too into being in a secret order and less into discovering the secrets of themselves within mm-hmm. that order. Right. Uh, now, I definitely want to catch up with what we were talking about earlier today in live. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was fun. That was fun. Now, you just came out with the new, what was it? Harpocratesian new... Mysteries. Yeah. Now, yeah, so I wrote that sick. and released it in 99 to the Golden Dawn in Canada and then in 2000 to the Golden Dawn internationally. And uh, it did it did sort of have an effect. It was, uh, it was, it's, I think it's just so simple that it's valuable. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the meditation of Harpocrates, because there there always, I felt needed to be a step in between meditation one and God form work. Yeah. Now you were saying God form work wasn't really even talked about in the early grades. Well, like even even the even the, the the pentagram and hexagram rituals weren't really talked about in the in the original order in the outer order. The original order, you're saying, like the the very first in Victorian England, or you're talking yeah, like, about so what I you was, were doing? No, no, in the original order. Uh, so okay. I like I was recently reading through Yeats's uh, notes mm-hmm. on the Celtic mysteries, and in one of his n- scrying sessions in the Celtic mysteries. Um, there's a footnote in his manuscript and it references how in pathworking you visualize yourself entering into the tarot card and the footnote says second order work only like top secret not to be shared okay so and that is that is something that is one of the most introductory things in golden dawn material today but back then that's a clear indicator that just even the visualize the the the, one of the great great secrets they had was simply that of projecting yourself and visualizing yourself entering into the card or symbol that was a very secret inner order teaching now it's de rigueur right i know a lot of path working now especially like when you hear about the ota which is like Runyon's path working. They kind of do just the mirror laying down, having the mirror kind of just elevated from the ceiling down, kind of just hovering over you. So you could have that. I I, I don't know how it was explained. It was in his hermetic hour, um, his episode. Well, in the but... OTA, he, are you talking about the uh, black magic mirror scrying or the way in which they manifest your um, spirits to visual, vis- visible appearance? Not in the DVDs, the way he explains Solomonic magic, but the actual card path working has this lay down routine where they kind of just have get in a circle and they have the card elevated above them and a mirror that's behind it. And it's kind of like the four corners of the room have chains that go down to the center of the room. And you have like this mirror, like maybe three, four feet above your face with the card in the center hovering so you can do the actual... Um, the actual, I guess, how, how, maybe astral uh, focus on path working. Maybe it was kind of just the direction they were taking. I'd have to watch the episode over again to really get the uh, the routine and explanation down. But that was kind of just where the OTA went with their their path working exercises. And I know it wasn't really a thing with the original golden dawn order wasn't it more of like something on the side that 
both um like Florence Farr and who was Mather's wife's name? Moyuna. Moyuna. Yeah. Moyuna. I know that they were doing more of some like a side project with Pathworking. I don't know when it actually became second order uh an actual legitimate aspect of second order or if it was right off the bat second well, order in in the original order practical magic was more or less second order i mean in the outer order what they really just wanted you to do was go through the initiations and memorize the knowledge lectures and that was it yeah so it wasn't even like getting aware of the grades as the element the elemental points Mm, I think there was a sense of attunement to the elements, but it, there wasn't. It's like you attune to the elements in the outer grades, and then when you go through Zelator Adeptus Minor, the Oricus Adeptus Minor, then Pram and Pam, that's when you actively work with the elements. Yeah. I think that was more how it's seen. Whereas now, we work with them in, from the get go, and then in the in the inner order, we work with them on a just much higher level. Now, were you saying earlier today too that they didn't have the information that we do about what they were trying to convey with the grades leading up to Portal? Um, how they were representing um, aspects to get in touch with the HGA to um, get to I actually don't know the details of what kind of preparatory work they had outer order members do to pass through and be validly accepted by the inner order mm-hmm. after probationary um I think again there's there's better experts on that than than me Well you were explaining like Crowley knew what you had to do in order to get through the through the portal grade but you needed to come up with the motto and no, I think actually from what I understand, Crowley wasn't even able to pass his philosophist exam. Okay. Like, and even I, if he did, well, they still weren't really that interested in him. I mean, he really saw progression through the grades as demonstrating intellectual acuity rather than spiritual transformation. Yeah. So it, was, was it a, wasn't a, like spiritual alchemy to him. Yeah, like yeah, that's the thing, right? I mean, you can imagine Yates is like thirty-five, Crowley's twenty-five, and Yates is this world-renowned poet already. And then Crowley sees him in a Golden Dawn meeting after the initiation, and you can imagine this sort of chutzpah he must have had, thinking, "I'm sure I'm just as good a poet as this guy." Because, like, I was listening to, on Gaia.com to Lon Milo's Dickett's two different episodes done over a period of ten years on Crowley. And Lon talks about when they, when 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 this horrible interviewer George Nury asked Lon about was Crowley what was Crowley really what was his main thing and Lon says well he was a poet he saw himself mainly as a poet part of me wondered is that just because he's had a chip on his shoulder ever since meeting Yates and being unwilling to accept the fact that he just couldn't stack up. Because you, there's no, I've been reading this first edition I got of Crowley's autobiography, Hagiography. I got it during the uh, fires, the Kincaid fires in Santa Rosa for, for 20 bucks. And I'm reading the poetry, and if there's anything I'm good at, it's 
literary analysis of poetry, mm-hmm. for sure. Okay. And it doesn't stack up. It doesn't compete with Yeats's. Crowley is, you know, you can transcend formal poetic, poetic structures, but when someone does, you can tell when they're doing it. They're doing it through awareness of what poetic structures are. You can only break the rules if you know what the rules are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you can tell he's not a master of the rules. No, he's, he's just not breaking he's the an rules. exhaustive writer, really. Yeah, and his poetry I find rather exhausting. Occasionally I see some genius in there, but it's undeveloped genius. Like, honestly, it looks like Crowley published every poem he ever wrote, whereas Yeats, you read his books of poetry, and they're so well-constructed, and they're, they're, stru- they're constructed sequentially and masterfully so that each poem leads into the other in an overall exposition of, of a lyrical narrative. Mm-hmm. And Yeats, you can only imagine how many fucking hundred of poems did Yeats just throw out because they did, weren't up to snuff. And I don't feel that when I read Crowley. I feel like everything he wrote, he just left in there. Mm. There goes my 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 philemic friends, eh? Right, tossed. <laughs> no, no, like seriously, like uh, one thing uh, reading Crowley's confessions has shown me is is a uh, uh, heightened respect for him, yeah. but also a more honest, objective acknowledgement of his own limitations like you can see where he's limited and sure he wrote his confessions when he was 45 and i'm 39 so i don't really know what 45 is going to be like but i can imagine that if i had never felt appreciated or accomplished in my life mm-hmm. that by 45 i might slightly develop a grand an aggrandized notion of my own greatness right i you mean know? you should at least already have a pretty stable world view in terms of just life experience, especially in the occult community, um, that six years, Crowley. is that going to make the biggest difference? What, Crowley? No, with you. With what, what's, what, what are you talking about with six years? Well, t- to get up to, to 45. You think at this point, wouldn't you already have a, a pretty basic and stable worldview on just... You mean by the time Crowley reached four equals six, Philosophus? No, by the time you reach his age, do you think there's going to oh, be much I'm... difference six years uh, from now that your worldview is going to change? I don't know. It's a good question, actually. I, I When I imagine myself five, six years from now, like, honestly, life has... I, like I've had in many ways a blessed life, uh, primarily due to my own efforts to make it blessed. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I've sweat blood most of my life to overcome a lot. There's a reason my outer order motto was given to me by Frater Ka Nineveh Shadrach as broken of chains, right? Mm-hmm. And breaker of changes, chains is actually one of the classical names of ISIS. I actually have only learned that since here being at the Isis Oasis in Geyserville and uh, the Temple of Isis here, like it's, that's, it's run by the Fellowship of Isis, Temple of Isis, right? Which comes out of the Boda tradition through Arissa Victor, Granny Rainbow, and then taken on by Lorian Vignier, who uh, was very close friends with Anton Zander LeVay and the Black House in, in Frisco back in the, in the day. Oh, really? Yeah, she's the one who got him to start getting tigers and raising ocelots because that's why she bought this property this 10 acres i'm on where i've been teaching since last summer and uh lorian bought it so she could keep raising ocelots even though san francisco 
banned the breeding of ocelots and, and serval cats. So she moved up here and got this land to keep doing that. And of course, that leads to us where we're at today, where they still have these serval cats and stuff. And now all of a sudden, Joe Exotics come out and everyone's aware of how, uh, how uh, illegal it is to breed for the purpose of sale. And so yeah. it's, a big, it's a big issue, which I can't even begin to get into, given my current experience. Right. Yeah, let's not talk about it. Um, <laughs> um, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What are we saying? Oh, my God. My, the, the last podcast I did uh, uh, earlier today uh, is probably going to be banned from Spotify due, just, due to the sheer volume of Ryan Reynolds, Seth Rogen-style cursing that occurred between me and this Freemason guy. Uh, Frater C, who's uh, who's actually a neophyte in the Golden Dawn system of, under Zalewski and and Martin and Hogan out of Austin or, or out of Texas. Anyway, that was, there was oh, really? a lot of swearing on. I don't know how all that swearing happened, but it did. Now you and me are talking about tiger breeding and shit like that. So that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. I just can't. I can't seem to avoid the hot button subjects, bro. And you know, you've known me a while. You've actually you actually seen. Uh, uh, struggle and develop with some of the most challenging feats that I could have imagined to ever have attempted in my life. I mean, if there's anything that defines what I'm doing, it's I've decided to look for the heaviest weight I can possibly find and lift it. And that's probably why I'm where I'm at right now. You know? Yeah, you pick, so pick the heaviest cross to bear. It would be so easy, man, just to go teach at a university and, like, teach introductory courses to some bullshit, you know? <laughs> like, right. Go do it. Go do it. You know, it would be so easy. What's the point, though? What's the Maybe point? Maybe Christopher McIntosh's wife. I think she's doing extra work right now. Well, yeah. Like, all those cats, like, they're all connected with – they're all from Nicholas Goodrich Clark, my mentor's uh, school. And I would love to work with any of them. I mean, I'm working with Angela Voss out of University of Canterbury under the auspices of this new society we formed to fundraise to help students afford uh, postgraduate and graduate degrees in esotericism. And that's my main career sort of work right now. My other work is of course, helping people just find their way. If there's a, if, you know, if someone says, walks up to me and says, yo, where, where's this street? Then I can point to the street sign and say, it's right there, but don't take this path this way this path's you know better unless you like a scenic view in which case going up the hill is not so bad because the sunset is beautiful you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i mean if we're saying that in terms of education i i understand what you're saying like but also if you're saying that in terms of people doing solo esoteric work like a self-initiate i mean Lodges are necessary and unnecessary at the same time. For sure. You need lodges for actual physical thergic work with multiple people, but at the same time, like knowledge lectures don't need really anyone but the, you know, maybe a person like A to B, like you and me, like mouth to ear, just to have the questions to be answered over. Yeah. But I mean, there's so much literature out there that it's not really hard to to figure out a lot of just what has been presented in the last, what, 120, 30 years since the Golden Dawn decided to even exist and everything because of that that's 
like you know been an offshoot of it whether it's bota or i don't even know who else is like existing servants of of the light uh dion fortune's group the uh society right what's clark's is clark's servants of the light paul clark's uh no servants of the light was what's it called fuck i always forget his name the guy who started servants of the light they're the ones that make you send in your diary entries to be reviewed um, okay, but you know, there's Dion Fortune Society of Inner Light, and you know, Yates really created the Celtic Mysteries originally with Mathers to make a similar th- sort of outer outer order for to draw people in the Golden Dawn. His idea was both to nationalize the Irish Republican movement at a time before Ireland was its own country, and fight the British, as well as provide an entrance path for Celtic Irish people to move into the more complex work of the golden dawn because the celtic mysteries order only has three initiations which is traditional uh first second third degree like you see in witchcraft um and it really in the golden dawn there's actually also only three initiations did you know that three initiations neophyte what else is there go for it go for it bro is it neophyte well I thought Zelter would be an initiation. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? And you're right, it is. But neophyte is not. No. Neophyte is not an The ceremony of the neophyte? No, do you know what it is? You're going to love this. It's an, is it just a verbal... It's an exorcism. It's an exorcism. Oh, is it? Yeah. Neophyte is an exorcism. Zelator is an initiation. Theoricus, Practicus, and Philosophus are elemental advancements that all occur within the astral elements. And uh, there's more. Now, I could actually be more specific, but I don't want to spoil anything for anyone because there's a another portal is a grade. Portal is an initiation into spirit. So you you get exercised in neophyte, which means you're cleansed of your your psychic karma. You're cleansed of all karma. You're cleansed of all zodiacal astrological influence in your life that's the whole now that's your exercise that's the whole commute the communication with the hierophant and your motto during the ritual is what you see, is causing so, so the like, exorcism the reason we're influenced by our astrological t- charts and the and the astral influences and let's always remember that astral influences or astral astral always referred to the planets we we mm-hmm. often these days we've new ageized yeah. it to, uh, to think that astral refers to sort of amorphous uh, etheric fluid which is a uh, was a scientific misunderstanding back in the day everybody right. thought there there was ether in between everything right um now we know it's probably dark matter or some shit like that i don't fucking know but the astral we you so you take the person out of the world out of the astral world and you put them into a little bar jar you take mm-hmm. the candidate and you put him in a vessel you put him into the alembic and you say there now you're cut off from all your bullshit, all your karmic history, whatever you want to call it. You're going into this little vessel now, and we're going to – then in Zelator, we initiate you by pouring in the elements one at a time. And you have to purify those elements and all the bullshit they bring up, all the dross that has to get burned away from your soul inside that Alembic. And as you do that, you become purified and ready to be invoked the spirit as you purify those elements through zelator theoricus and practicus and philosophers right earth air, those are astral. earth air water fire the astral elements yes and by astral elements for anyone out there who knows what i'm talking about that's a lie 
I'm lying. I'm lying. It's not astral elements. It doesn't matter what kind, what form of the elements it is. I'm not going to mention it because that is part of the majesty. Well, and beauty isn't of it you. part of the Yode Vavhe? It it is part process. of the process. The issue is it's not actually part of the Malkut Yesod Chod and Netzach of the Tree of Life. But I'm not going to. You're get talking about that. the elements. Yeah, yeah, and okay. I'm and I'm being vague and obscure for a purpose because I believe you are still on a path that's going to appreciate seeing some of these mysteries revealed in a very nuanced, subtle way that will click mm. in a beautiful way. I think it's going to click. I just think I I can feel that you're still you're going to you're going to you're going to appreciate some sometimes not everything should be laid out explicitly bare right right i mean stop all right let me let me let me summarize a little bit so so neophyte grade is basically you said the exorcism but it's the negredo state where the untutored soul is basically lofty in the the ethereal or just somewhere that's not actually contained but after you go through that that actual ceremony, now you have obtained the vessel of the emblick, which is you're sanctifying the body for its actual purpose of receiving Well, you're not actually light put into the Alembic. With... You're not put into the Alembic until Zelator. So, like, if you're going to quit the Golden Dawn, you should okay, quit, so the Zelator is quit the base. during Neophyte. And one thing Alistair Crowley got right was the idea of the first grade being probationary. Like, you're a Minerval, he calls you, right? Minerva? And so if you're mm-hmm. going to quit the, the OTO, it's like that's a chance for you spend a year in Minerva, I believe, in the OTO. And a year in which they get to know you, you get to know them. It's a process of discernment, as we say theologically. And you s- decide whether it's for you or not. And in the Golden Dawn, it's the same thing. In Neophyte, you should decide whether it should stay or should I go. Should I stay yeah. or should I go? Once you start the cycle of the elements with the initiation into Zelator, into 1 equals 10... That is when you should not quit until you finish Philosophist. Once you start Earth, do not quit until you go through fire. Right. Because once you're in the Alembic and they pour the elements in one at a time, so that's why Theorcus, Practicus, and Philosophist, air, water, and fire, aren't considered technically initiations. They're considered advancements, and they're even called advancements. Okay. And that's why you have to advance people when they're ready Sometimes even if they can't pass the test, though that's a big debate. Some people say only pass people when they pass the test. Some people say no, in, in, advance them when the elemental change is happening. Otherwise, they won't be able to handle their fucking shit. So they won't be able to keep their lives together. Malkut's the emblick going, and you're experiencing the Negredo state, aren't you? Yeah. Well, once you go into Zelator, you initiate the Black Dragon, and the Black Dragon is putrefaction and Negredo, because you start getting you put the you put the the Athenor under the Alembic. You're starting yeah. to the, you're adding the, the fire it's, to it's, the, it's the, called the Zelator because the Zelator is the one who pumps the the uh, the pump the what's it called to heat the Athenor of the the furnace. The puffer. Yeah, he's he's the he's the fluffer. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of the hardest jobs back in the day being when a, you were being actually. A fluffer? Yeah, yeah, I mean to keep the fire going. Yeah, for to keep things hot and hard and heavy. Yeah, yeah, it's easier to do now. You just plug in your mantle. Yeah, and the outlet. So once you start that process of the elements, you really got to finish it because when you, if you're in Theoricus, if you're in the air grade, and mm-hmm. you just can't pass, a lot of people become what we call eternal Theorikai. 
in Eternal mm-hmm. Theorica are just people that get so spaced out in the air grade. They're just like, woo! Like, if someone in Theorica stops coming to class for, like, three to six months, no surprise. No surprise. It's like, yeah, they'll show up. And, but, and sometimes we're like, they'll show up in a year and a half or so. And they do. They fucking always do. They're like, hey, um, uh, I know I haven't been here in, like, two years. But uh, can I pay all my back dues and, like, you know, get going again? And we're always like, absolutely. We're not surprised at all. Welcome. (laughs) You know, because that happens. But they come back because the elements start shifting within your own sphere of sensation. Right. So you're actually having an actual physiological and psychological impact on this grade. It's so severe. It's overwhelming. I mean, just looking at my old diaries now, 20 something years later. It's mind-boggling to me how fucking hardcore the physiological and psychic changes were in my life in, in each of those grades. In all those oh, grades. Oh, in each of them? Yeah. They were brutal. They were all fucking brutal. They, none of them were easy. They were all hard <laughs> as shit. And I kept doing my daily ritual work, and I kept doing the work, and I got through them, you know, much more expediently than Crowley did. But... uh that's partly because we had a more rigorous system and better education. I mean, the original Golden Dawn, they, they didn't really have, this, have the same developed uh, classes and structures and education that we had today. I mean, we've had a hundred and something years of development and materials to build on, right? Well, that's the thing. I feel like, I feel like it's just the evolution of these grades are not the same that – then when you know Mackenzie found the cipher manuscripts and you know you mean found or wrote uh found <laughs> I well that's i don't know that's i mean joke, it's bro. up for debate right like, fucking yeah of course it is yeah uh, but when Wesca and Mathers decided to do this temple like i don't really feel like they had exactly the full theology of alchemical symbolism built into the grading system the way that you know, the actual order of, you know, golden Rosenkreutz, the golden and rosy cross of of Bavaria really understood it. Like, and did they even understand it? Like the way we're at now, like talking about? No, I, I don't think so because I don't think they had access to the entire range of historical magical writings that we have access to today. Like today, having access to things like everything from the, the keys of Solomon to the Abramelin, to the uh, writings of Agrippa. I mean, all of that's at our fingertips now. I mean, we read that for breakfast. Yeah. Right? It's all, yeah, I have to walk on the other side of the swamp. Mathers had to (laughs) translate from Latin, and Mathers's Latin was, you know, subpar at best. Um, You can see that from so many examples. He had to translate the entire Knorr von Rosenroth denudata and that was the only extent versions or, or excerpts from the Sefer Zohar that existed outside of Aramaic. And he right. didn't know Aramaic. Fucking no one did 100 years ago. No. They didn't even call Now we Aramaic. have Daniel C. Matt in all 12, 13 volumes. Yeah. That was, well, yeah. We only have that now thanks to Madonna. Yeah. The Prickster edition. Seriously. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a full translation. I mean... A hundred years ago, Aramaic wasn't even called Aramaic. It was called Chaldean, you know? Oh, yeah. 
Fuck when I was in, when I was in seminary and they told was me, it not Phoenician too though no 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 Aramaic I, is I thought the to Hebrew evolved from that yeah it did it, they all evolved from Phoenician and and Syriac languages um, but like for uh, you know when I first went to, to when I was first asked to go research some words in Aramaic in seminary I went mm-hmm. to the library at, at Vancouver School of Theology. And I couldn't find the books. And I went to the librarian who was this really knowledgeable archivist and Quaker. I said, I can't find the lexicon for Aramaic. I don't see any Aramaic lexicons. He's like, oh, well, they're all, they're all quite old. They're all at least 100 years old. And so, therefore, of course, they're called Chaldean lexicons. I was like, hmm. you're fucking kidding me. Right, because I had already been through the Practicus initiation, which is based on the Samothracian Kabiri and and the Chaldean oracles, and I I had no recognition from that that the word Chald I thought I knew what Chaldean meant, but I had no clue that Chaldean was just an earlier phrase to describe Aramaic. I mean, right. no, no, it wasn't does. the same as the Chaldean oracles itself. No, well, the Chaldean oracles were written in Greek. They were written in yeah. Koine, you know, classical Greek and Koine. Um, but yeah, like, you mm-hmm. know, so there's these basic historical facts that often trip us up. And Mathers was tripped up by that because all he could find was a Latin uh, selection of translations from the Aramaic Zohar in Latin. And so he had to translate those. So they had very limited right. knowledge. And we have a much wider range of knowledge today. I mean, look at the work that people like Aaron Leach are doing with the Solomonic system and Stephen Skinner with the Anakian. I mean, we have amazing PhD level scholars. Right. It's get, beautiful. Getting into this shit. Oh, yeah. And they're getting into it like no one else ever is going Peterson to. Peterson, too. Peterson? Right. Uh, who? Yeah. Joseph, right? Who's Joseph Peterson? Joseph Peterson? Dude, the podcast I just... Hey. Hello. We're hey, back. So, so I was wondering if that would happen because um, when I was uh, doing a podcast in Berlin the other year with uh, Chris Winters, you know, my occult life, this occult life. Okay. Um, uh, we were doing the doing it through the app because you and me have never done it through the this app before, right? No. So he and I were doing it. We noticed that about every 45 minutes to an hour, it would just crap out. I think that's them putting a signal limit on their service. So uh, that if that if if once like if that happens again, like third time's the charm, then I'm going to finally say, yeah, I'm not going to record through this app anymore. Even though I think the recording quality is pretty decent, better than just recording through a, a Facebook Messenger uh, speaker stream or something like that. I wish right. I had the format's a nice. The format isn't it nice to just like the way we just did that right now. It's beautiful, right? Yeah, it's elegant. But if was you that didn't... saved or you didn't lose the file? No, I did not lose it, and I actually okay. had my backup iPhone recording in addition to that um, okay. because I've learned my lesson the hard way. Um, so we were at. I was talking we're... about you Joseph, Joseph H. Peterson. Yeah, who is he wrote that? the who Le- is that? he wrote the Lemegaton, the Swarm Book of Honoris, D's Five Books of Mystery, Grimorum Verum, the Six Seven Books of Moses, the Arbitel. He just came out with a new book called Secrets of Solomon. It's um, what is it called? The Witch's Handbook from the Trial Records, Ventian Inquisition. Is that what it says? Venetian Inquisition. 
Yeah, so he is up there with Skinner and... Is he the um, psychologist guy? Uh, he is a... I think he's just a... What is he? It says here he... Renaissance intellectual experimental approach to spirituality. He is a Zoroastrian that <laughs> came out of the University of Minnesota in studies of various languages, like a translator. And he ended up just getting really focused in grimoire works. And he, I think he's up there with Skinner when it comes to most most published grimoire uh, authors. Well, yeah. I mean, there's others, right? Like Greer and his uh, Picatrix and stuff. Yeah, Greer's definitely up there. But I think when it comes to just inexpensive scholars for over a dozen to two dozen copies worth of um of uh grimoires i mean he even wrote the clavis or the the key of the magic of solomon in the original the original talismanic grimoire in full color i know skinner just came out last year with with a newer edition i forgot the name of the publishing company he put it out with but greer came out with the clavis before uh not greer um Peterson came out of the, the clavis right before Skinner. But they're kind of like definitely um, <coughs> pretty cool guys. I know both of them follow me on Facebook. So, I mean, it's not when it comes to like, it's a really small circle when it comes to the esoteric community. Because the fact that like I'm just this, you know, low library kind of magician <laughs> when it comes to just collecting books and selling them online but like i can <laughs> obviously have conversations with leach skinner and peterson like it's no big deal kind of just says just how small the community really is for the most part the reason joseph peterson uh threw me as a name and i'm looking at his publications right now and yeah no i know him but not 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 directly, but um, so my last podcast interview I did was for uh, earlier was uh, the the frater C I was interviewing. He uh, he can he accidentally conflated. Um, he said Joseph Peterson, and what he actually meant was Joseph Campbell, but he confused Joseph Campbell with Jordan Peterson. Jordan. Oh wow! Yeah, so he said Joseph Peterson. A few times removed. He said Joseph know? Peterson as a conflation of Joseph Campbell and Jordan R. Peterson. Jordan R. Peterson. H. Peterson. Whatever the Canadian dude. Oh my gosh. Canadian dude who's Jordan Peterson. Who, yeah, Professor he's, Jordan yeah, Peterson. Yeah, I do have his uh, thirteen. Is it twelve rules 12. for life? Thirteen. There's only twelve zodiacal yeah. signs. He's coming out with another one. Of course he is. You know, and I, I yeah, I got, I got a, I got a signed copy one of those two back in Canada. I haven't read it, but I'm curious to read it, despite what everyone says, because unlike, you know, uh, what they call mainstream media, I tend to judge, uh, you know. I'm definitely more of a dissenting media guy. I'm more interested in judging things on their actual bases rather than by whatever fucking idiot. I mean, he just got out of the hospital in Russia. Yeah, that's it's so sad. Like, I've had so many, I mean, I've been working in the system my whole life. Uh, the the sort of the you know, well, in seminary, like, we spend all our time working with fucked up people, right? Doing dealing with drugs and stuff. And yeah, man, like, he got addicted to these pills because his wife was on death's door. It's like. Right? Was it Klonopin's? Klonopin, yeah, I think that's what it is, and, or something like that. And it's like, 
Yeah, of course, man. Dude, no one's immune. I remember I had to go on morphine once. Like, I had to take, like, three doses after a surgery. And I was Mm -hmm. fucking suicidal out of my mind for six months. Like, my graduate school put me on a watch list and made sure that people said hi to me in the hallways. Because they knew that I was like, I'm coming off this three doses of morphine I did. And... I don't want to die, but that's all I think about. And I did, and oh, really? I could tell, I could tell it was a chemical influence. I was at least, yeah. thank God, spiritually and physically and psychically developed enough to understand that this wasn't me, but the force of it was too physical for me to ignore. Oh, that sucks. I had morphine <clears throat> from a kidney stone, but I never really related it with my depression or anxiety to that because I felt like everything else I was doing was, you know, obviously compounding the problem. Sure. I wasn't able to, like, peel the layers of really what was the issue. It could have just been all of it at once for the most part as far as I was concerned. But, yeah, that sucks. I mean, Jordan Peterson, if we're just going to talk about him quickly, like, there's a lot of good things he brings out. Like, he let me understand... Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault and the neo-Marxists of the French school and uh, what is it? What was the school in Germany right before Hitler kicked it, kicked them all out? The Hanover School. <sighs> was it the Hanover School? Well, that was one of them. There was a whole bunch of them, man. But I, what I, critical I, theory came out? <clears throat> I have to argue but, with you on one point here. Right. What? Because we're we're in my world now. You might yeah. you might know all the translators and more mystical texts than me. Because honestly, I'm more a I'm more a bare bones, stick to the basics sort of magician. Um, I'm not into the fancy grimoires and all that shit. I was trained in them. I can do that stuff, but I'm I'm more you know keep it strict. I'm more like into the tatwas and like you know. Anyway, my point is, God damn that that drink's gone. Oh no, I was talking about Jordan Peterson. Yeah, Jordan Peterson. So Jordan Peterson could not have helped you understand Jacques Derrida or neo Marxism. No, no, he he just helped me. He he sourced it. <coughs> he oh, gave he... the sources. He gave the names. It's like okay, now I can get into understanding. One thing that Jordan Marxism. Peterson doesn't understand it's postmodernism. I just got to say that. Like I'm decadent pretty... postmodernism. No, no, no. Like... he doesn't understand the postmodern philosophical movement, which is akin to post-structuralism. He doesn't understand its essential gesture. All right? And I'm not going to get into it too much now, but I I mean, I literally, I wrote a book called The Ethics of Understanding God about this. So you want to read the book that got me into Yale for a doctorate? Go read The Ethics of Understanding God because – He's a psychologist. He's not a philosopher. What he's railing against was the co-option, the the yeah, the co-opting of post postmodernist ideologies by the radical left in the university system. Along, you know, as it was congruent with the compelled speech bill C twenty three in Canada, which in Canada yeah. to this day, comedians are getting sued for thirty grand for making off color jokes. For saying oh yes, yeah. and it's gone a little too far, right? Say Z or Zoo. If I if you say I'm a Zoo, not a you, and I don't say Zoo to you, I say you. I can go to jail in Canada. But what does that say about where they took the ide- ideology? But it, here's the point. This is why I said it was co-opted 
they co-opted. It is co-opted, but co-opted isn't it the evolution the of it? It's not the evolution of it because Jacques Derrida's philosophy was was subtle and nuanced and precise. As soon as you take something out of its subtlety, imagine when you're doing, you know, machinists, you know how machinists mm-hmm. really, they make these little things that let our whole world go round, basically, right? Yeah. <clears throat> they don't make mistakes. They don't like change things by 0.5, right? They change something by 0.5 and a, and a jet explodes in midair, right? And a plane crashes if they're off by 0.1, 0.2, 0.3. Same thing in philosophy, man. And so that might sound pedantic and and annoying as fuck to anyone out there who's trying to just get the broad strokes of intellectual thought. But intellectual thought isn't done in broad strokes. It's done in precise measurements. And if you want to get into that arena, you need to Mm -hmm. use things in their proper context. If you take things out of their proper context, you're going to distort it. And he doesn't understand postmodernism. He understands his experience of postmodernism in the university structures as they were abused and misused for the purposes of political agenda and social gain. And so that's fine. His critique of that is absolutely fucking valid. And as a result, I really wish I could go back and change every usage in my work on the ethics of understanding God from postmodernism to post-structuralism, like just do a fucking find and replace. I wish I could go back in time and do that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. because post-structuralism is still more properly understood. But Jacques Derrida is not properly understood. in brief, don't we think that the outcome of the Frankfurt School was a an ethnic attack on That's majority groups? The Frankfurt School. You're so yes. right. That, thank God you remembered that. Wasn't it changing the bourgeoisie of class struggle into an actual cultural conflict in order to create a degradation of majority groups? which is kind of where we're at now with <clears throat> the far left. It's breaking down the majority of Christian European culture in America. Like that's kind of the attack that we have with the far left in, in the administrations today. Um, I think, I mean, it's, oh man, it's a complicated issue, bro. It's it really, very dark. It's, 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 very, it's dark. very dark. It's very complicated. I mean, so... I mean, I, it's theological, though. It comes oh, down to, yes. like, this anti-Logos ideology. Yeah. Like, it's an attack on civil yeah. first-world Christendom and the development yeah. of just where labor has brought itself since, you know, basically the heathens of, like, you know, the Germanics went from you know chasing pigs in the in the forest all the way to just the feudalism of bavaria and the labor efforts that it brought itself out to be one of the biggest power houses of of labor in the world i mean that's really the biggest difference between like non-developed and developed worlds is you know 1200 years of of labor when it comes to like germany over i don't know like zimbabwe or tanzania that's just getting grips on you know, fabric industrialization that the dioceses are pushing today. But it is still a theological thing, like, because it's the only people that are pushing it are the monasteries, for the most part. This is what started Germany from the beginning, was the, you know, aura at labora, you know? The, right. I think it was the motto of the friars. And how does that interact with uh, class structure? Class, how does it? How does it end Everyone up into class structure? In their place, right? 
Well, no, I, I think just the Frankfurt School found out after communism was really like, you know, if you look at Mao and and uh, and Stalin, like that's like almost two hundred million people slaughtered, and were how can you actually do the communism you want out of out of Marx's ideal ideology if it's not uh, a class situation? And I feel like the far left kind of just rolled it into, and that's the point. That Peterson makes to Zizek. Uh, what is his name? Zizek. So I was just, I was, was... going to actually bring that up. I'm so glad you actually watched all three and a half hours of that. The debate, yeah, and he was like, the, when the Zizek was like, well, how do you? And Jordan Peterson is probably one of the most important dialogues that's happened in the last 200 years. What asking why? Well, I mean, the part where he said on the, you know, the cross comment was really important, but also where is cultural Marxism in terms of how the radical left kind of sabotaged it? Because cultural Marxism, I think, was redefined by Peterson when he was like, they turned it from class struggle into culture, a culture struggle. Absolutely. They're attacking it. They're using the ideas of feminism, the idea of all these subgroups that have been kind of just veiled since so, the Swiss, what do you call it? The, uh, the first, uh, the first organization of, uh, who, who was the creator of it? I forgot the name of the Congress in Switzerland, in the 1890s that was held, but it was basically like you have the far left, which is, communism but you also had the radical right which was where communism rolled itself into what i guess um the middle eastern situation is today with zionism and the surrounding states of islam and people that's kind of i feel people need to remember no one really realizes this is both wings of one minority group no one really and that's why you know peterson got attacked when he didn't read uh, Shoshaniskin's 200 years together which was the conflict that brought the hatred that the the uh, the Jewish groups in in uh, Russia at the time when when they took over parts of Poland the kind of reaction that it caused to create the, the revolution of the Bolsheviks which was an ethnic I, th- I, I really stand on and what Shoshaniskin made it out was this was an ethnic warfare it wasn't an actual um it wasn't a uh what do you call it it wasn't just a government regime takeover it was literally like they wanted to totally destroy anything christian in its identity and that's why we get into this whole conspiracy now with the tartarian empire and what that was you know before the 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 napoleonic wars and this whole cover-up that even the cia in the 50s let us know about which was saying like stalin wanted to destroy all tartarian culture um anything that had any remorse you know this old world this old way of uh this if you look at the architecture that like you kind of hear about with this the tart the great tartaria the tartars it goes back to the kazarian clan that adopted judaism and its sabotage with um 
what do you call it? It's destruction of of what Russia was when it was uh, being created by the czars for the most part. And there's this this writer in the 80s after the Genome Project, uh, Arthur Kessler or something like that. This this writer he wrote this book called the Thirteenth Tribe of Israel, and it was trying to relate that the whole human the whole genome of the Ashkenazis are of Turkish descent, which means that they came from, in historical context, Khazaria, which was this country north of the Black Sea, where, um, I forgot the name of the place that Putin just annexed. Anyway, it's like right on the Silk Road strip between the China roots that went into Europe in like the 8th century. And after this dismantlement of Palestine, which was Israel like, you know, like 70 AD by Titus, you had the complete dismantlement of the Jewish state in like historical context. And what revived this, this religion or this, this way of being, it was Hebrew, right? That's what the biblical old testament was these were hebraic people this was the way of the hebraic covenant the mosaic covenant once that shattered and the dismantlement of the uh, uh the, the jewish state ended the only thing that brought it back judea judaism was actually something that came out in the eighth century when the shoals uh, opened up i guess there was this plea bargain like you know, you let it, I forgot the name of the rabbi, but he was like, you let us open up schools, you know, like, and, you know, you don't oppress us. Like there was this, this agreement with, with Rome to the point where once they migrated, most of these rabbinic families that were pretty much almost completely destroyed, like the the new group that was pretty much put under pressure was uh, the Tartars and Alexander Solzhenitsyn gets into from 800 like he doesn't talk about it in in the actual book from 800 to 1200 when it actually was uh the dominant uh my i guess i would say minority group of what judaism was in in that area but it he gets into the point where he uh it gets actually political with this group north of the Black Sea who, who when the Tsars finally took over um, Poland um, and took up some of that land is where the reaction that led up 200 years all the way up to the Bolsheviks. So he only really covers Bolsheviks all of, like in 200 years prior. So like the Enlightenment point and the relationship that these Ashkenazi people had in reaction to what led to the slaughter of 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 really what marxism really ended up playing itself out to be you know marx i don't think had this idea whatsoever but the people who fueled bolsheviks that is really the raw idea of really what the communism was to that group and no one that's the reason why 200 years together never ever has been translated in English. You know, you still have these lobby groups like that won't allow it to be translated. And he's, he's gotten called out in a lot of like, there's a few YouTube videos where he's getting called out on why he can't 
criti- criticize or, or talk about this this book. I mean, this Shostakovich was a Nobel Peace uh, Prize winner for the Gulag Archipelago, and the latest edition Peterson covers in in him uh, in the book he forwards. I guess the newest edition, but Two Hundred Years Together is one of the most important books on the historical relationship because it answers everything about what's going on today with the Arab Spring, the dismantlement of the surrounding states around Israel, uh, the tension of Iran, the civil war of Syria. Like it kind of is, you know, World War One, Two, the Bolsheviks, everything that's led up to history in the last 120 years you know 200 years together really was a, a key you there you there fratter <clears throat> i think i might have lost you i'm gonna wait for a minute hopefully you'll come back I've got data and Wi-Fi going, so there hopefully there's no reason for us to cut out entirely. Um, maybe it's on your end. Well, while you're gone, and it's uh, I know you haven't fully gone because the recording's still going, and last time it crapped out. Uh, God, man, technology. It's so good, but so bad. So I'm just going to share my thoughts while the recording's still going, and hopefully you'll come back and continue. Because, God, I love, I love learning this stuff. I mean... Obviously, I know a bit about the Tartars and the Bolshevik Resolution, and the, didn't read the Gulag Archipelagos, but I certainly know a lot about and around them. I was more a Dostoevsky guy slash Nietzsche, um, you know, yeah, like the amount of time I've spent sitting down with Nietzsche texts, translating them from German into English as a teenager in Vienna and in Dusseldorf and all over the countryside is uh, laughable to me now, honestly. It's fucking laughable. Like, dude, you were 16. Train spotting in Pulp Fiction had just come out. What are you doing translating Nietzsche in your spare time? But hey, I was a weird kid, so that's what I did. Um, I, I really want to respond to what you're saying about the interpretations of postmodernism and classism and social revolution as it relates to everything leading up to. Uh, identity politics today and I especially want to address the misappropriation and misrepresentation of postmodern thought especially as it relates to Jacques Derrida's essential critique of the platonic metaphysics of presence so hopefully we'll get to that I think maybe at this point I need to hit hang up on you and see if we can restart this 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 thing because this is a this is a good one cheers and now, a word from our sponsors. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or $6 a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. Hello? So it seems like somewhere around the half hour mark. No, no, no. Crap. It was it was me. Um, it was you. 
yeah, my toe like took <laughs> pulled my headphone off, and when I plugged it back in, I couldn't talk, but I could hear you. <laughs> yeah, I was like sitting all Indian cross legged, and then I I went to stretch, and it just roared out. I couldn't talk to you after I could hear you, and I sounded like I was dead, like you were giving me like this. Well, he was a good guy, and I wish we could continue this. Here's <laughs> the. It was like you were locked in your body on some over overdose acid trip. Yeah, just gone, and you could only speak for me, and I couldn't speak for myself. And geez, yeah. next time I should uh, I should really uh, I should I should go wild with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But anyway. um, yeah, I don't know. I got I got a little excited talking about it because it's very very untalked about. No one really talks about. No one does. Such sensitive well, topics. No, no one talks about uh, notes from the underground. No one talks about that as being potentially the greatest book in world literature. Right? Notes from the underground? Yeah, that's Dostoevsky's 100-page book. Like, it's probably the most important 100 pages written, not in, in any language, not, not in the Russian language, not in the English language, in any language. Right. I don't know if I have any of Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. Yeah. I don't have any of his books, unfortunately. Well, I mean, read read Crime and Punishment. I mean, Raskolnikov's an amazing protagonist or antagonist, but it's it's crazy. Uh, Notes from the Underground is probably the most important book to read in the English language. And, you know, we're all, we're all, instead we all waste our time arguing over whether or not we should read Huckleberry Finn out loud. So, yeah, Russian writers are very important to know. Yeah, yeah. I was always a big fan of uh, Pushkin. Uh, Pushkin, uh, he wrote at such a... He only, it was only in the 18th century, I believe. Uh, and when he was... Pushkin was writing, like, he wrote Evgeny Yonyagin, which actually... Uh, anyway, he, he, uh, he was writing Russian at a time when he had to basically write Russian phonetically because the language hadn't really even developed uh in a, in any strict form of syntax and phonetics you know really yeah so like no i didn't know that one of the first great russian writers only two and a half years ago would had to write his russian almost phonetically and he wrote in in lyrical prose and uh it's amazing stuff russian it's written phonetically so that's amazing. Russian's a very right. new language in some senses. Actually, yeah. they made so they were they made a book by Pushkin into a movie with Liv Tyler and Rafe Fiennes. Just they just call it Onyegin for uh, for you Americans. One Jin, one one Jin. Go look at the really? movie. One one Jin, all one word. One Jin. It's, it kind of sounds like a, a magical it's, book. It, it's a magical book. Oh, dude, it's a magical, epic, lyrical work of poetic fiction and prose. But the movie is actually a work of cinematic. Uh, it's new? Brilliant. It's so beautiful. It's in the last 20 years. It's, okay. you know, it's, it's, got, it's got Voldemort. It's got Voldemort, Rafe, Rafe Fiennes, and uh, Liv Tyler. And it's, it's one of the most beautifully haunting romantic stories you'll ever see. It's so painful. It just It's just going to rip your heart out and feed it to you. Really? It's bigger than Tristan and Isildur? Oh, that's got nothing on this Fuck. show. Tristan, 
still don't. Those fuckers, they don't know shit. They don't know shit. You saw that movie, right? The new one with uh, James Franco? Uh, Yeah, maybe. What? My wife wants to watch that. What's it called? It's just Tristan and. uh, Isn't it Tristan and. and How do you say her name? Isildo? Isildo. Is it based on Bach? No, so like there's a there's a Scottish or is it Germanic? Tristan, Tr- no, there's a Scottish story, Tristan and Isolde. Oh yeah, that's right. it's Welsh. Gaelic, but Tristan is Gaelic. It's, yeah, but so then and then there's the Irish version of it, which actually is a later development. And Yeats wrote about that a lot about Tristan and Is Isolde. And uh, Yeats actually, when he had his first kid with with Georgie Hyde Lees, his wife, he named her Isolde. Oh really? I named my son Tristan. Oh, do you know what? I might have fucking. I might have just made a mistake. It's possible that Maud Gon's kid was daughter was named Isolt, and Yates tried to marry her since he couldn't marry her mother. God, these these. They were, if they were, they were deaf. Conservative, mundane. I mean, no, they they don't dude, sound dude, boring Yates, at all. When, when, yeah, no, we like to think of them as all like tightly laced, but Yates like. When when asked to comment on his peyote use, he said, "Well, peyote's nice, but I prefer hashish." <laughs> really? You know, fans, fast fast forward to Nancy Reagan's era. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like everyone right. used to be drinking cocaine cola every day, hashish, peyote, and, and opium, and you're you're trying to tell saying no. Right, yeah. No, I don't understand the Reagan era at all. War on drugs. And, you know, you hear all the stories about their private parties as having waiters with, with trays just with all the paraphernalia you could imagine offered to all of them on these. So the hypocrisy was rank. What, in the 80s, you're saying? Yeah. Reagan, Reagan, Nancy, the Ra- oh Jesus Christ, we're losing connection again. Can you hear me? Didn't vanish. It was like threatening. See, I turned on my data, okay. so we have Wi-Fi and data going for us at the same time. I don't care how much money it costs. This is this is crucial stuff. We're discussing Nancy Reagan's drug addiction. <laughs> yeah, so at least we're kind of out of the podcast. Nancy Reagan, the Gulag. The Gulag, From Arca, the Gulag to Arca, Reagan. Reagano. Heligo. Yeah. The Gulag, Nancy, Booger Sugaro. You never really heard about the Tartarian conspiracy? It went from Flat Earth two oh, years I, ago to now Tartaria because all these Flat Earthers started looking at old carto- cartography maps and whatnot, and they noticed how much this world of mostly Asia – Conquered, like, was called Tartaria. They didn't understand it, and there, w- there has been like these cover-ups that the communists did over destroying a lot of this civilization during the Stalin reign and regime. And um, I don't really know where it's going because, you know, this idea of the conspiracy, like, really, the only kind of books that talk about Tartaria as an actual. Uh, you know, 
uh, unite like a unity of all these different tribes and whatnot is these old 17th, 18th century books. And they're very rare. And it's really like a big deal right now with rare booksellers because it's hot, it's hot right now. This is a hot new f- investigation on the Tartarian Empire. And it has huge cover-ups because of just, it kind of brings itself to modern history and what was going on with, with uh, Stalin and Hitler. And it's really weird because it's like this whole new wave of like the identity of, 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 uh, of just who who the descendants of the Rothschilds were for the most part and how did the whole idea of the monetary system kind of just get into play with usury because it kind of just it has a really big it has a really big uh, I don't know sensitive idea behind it because it kind of just it can't be an anti-Semitic thing because it's history but at the same time like you know, it is in its own format, like a, another form of like a, the Jewish question when it comes to the, their history and who, where they come from. And it's very odd because, you know, as a Christian and a Catholic, you know, growing up, you always thought like the covenant of of the Hebrews existed. But like it kind of changes the idea, like maybe the Tur- Turkic majority of European really it, it, it's a i don't know it almost seems like it's kind of like the old testament has been hijacked for a weird political means today you know this whole excuse for for uh what do you call it an ethno state and it's it's just it's really odd because it causes a lot of hypocrisy towards can anyone else even have something like that at the same time no no we can't we've already seen the outcome of world war Two and it's very weird just this is all new information coming out yeah i I gotta say i just don't know too much about the details of what you're right i've been talking to you know know, uh sabrino books um and and fire him well yeah he's very good friends with he's very good he's very tight with uh dean so dean dean was having financial problems when i was uh crashing at his place for a couple days in between europe and california and Sabrino couldn't make his car payment, so Dean was buying thousands of dollars worth of books off of him. At the same time, selling my property to pay for. Oh, it. really? Yeah. Yeah, I I got into a little bit of help, like helping with Sabrino, but I mean, I I've always liked the guy, and I've always been very supportive of him. And uh, you know, I, I don't think he has anything to do with uh with uh Dean's madness. No, I don't, but... I don't know. I mean, but he, him and I are really the only people that have, as book collectors, he's really been the only one that's been on the case with this whole Tartarian question, because it is an important one. That's really interesting. No, I want to know more about it. I really wish I actually had more background. Yeah, because so I could get into that. It's weird. Maybe, maybe let's do this. Let's do a follow up. Send me a a bunch of links. Send me a bunch of stuff. I want to look into that more. I mean, we've we've really gone far afield. It seems to me from Golden uh, Dawn to Peterson, Peterson yeah. and and uh, even from the issues of uh, 
Plato and, and Jacques Derrida. Oh, yeah. So what were you trying to say about Jacques Derrida I, on Plato? Oh, I, I have some things to say, my friend. I have on, some things on to Jacques say. Jacques Derrida? So, je suis, j'ai le plaisir, mon frère. Yeah. Très bien. Was it Zizek you were saying something about Plato? Zizek. So Zizek is crucial. The debate between Peterson and Zizek is crucial because Zizek is a deep materialist. And if you listen to someone like Roger Penrose, the reason he says he doesn't like being called materialist is because he says we don't know what the material is yet. Well, do we really, though? Right. I mean, we're, I feel like we we've don't, left. We don't know. We've what the left material the atomic is. idea after like what was his name? Oh, my gosh. I forgot the name of this philosopher. It, he, it was really big in the 20s with the wasp elite. Yeah. Uh, Russell Bertrand. Bertrand, Bertrand Russell. Russell. Now, he was an atomist, and he tried to hypothesize on ultimate reality being an atomic thing, but he was, when you listen to, like, Copleston, the Copleston debate with him in the, I think it was the 50s, Copleston destroys his whole premise on uh, the objective objective reality i think it was on god yeah because of the because of the perception of light waves okay. right so that's something you can really there's some good stuff interviews going on right now with that yeah on, on youtube that exact issue on um on alex friedman's uh AI oh, okay. podcast you can see a lot of the top guys they're all addressing it michio and out of japan and all these other guys they're they're uh, really getting into it and that's good and I've got I'm I'm interviewing a couple dark matter scientists upcoming. Arissa's daughter, Arissa Victor, this this beautiful uh, Granny Rainbow's daughter is has just designed fifty or five thousand uh, lenses that are the first lenses designed to perceive dark matter, and they're launching this in Texas through this scientific institute. It's a world famous thing, and I have just stumbled upon it through my friendship with and, and teaching with this. 81 year old here at the oasis isn't yeah. that crazy it's like a small um, so world they're actually like we are on the verge of seeing and perceiving dark matter and i just exploded questions of course and the result was me discovering that like they're they're saying all we need to do is see it once we see it we'll have like enough information but to sort it? of extrapolate and run with it for years to come it's going to take us years like doing dmt for the first time it's going to take ages to just try and even begin to digest what you've just now, experienced dark matter you it's like the negation isn't it not at all so dark matter is just a blanket term that we use to describe 40 to 60 percent of reality that we well the void understand. i mean that's kind of what the ethereal state was during yeah. the early, early I mean, 20th century so, but, the so definition of ether dark matter what what dark matter is could be millions of different things all just categorized by us under this one blanket term of that which we can't see well wouldn't it kind of confirm the idea of the all-encompassing form of being we don't know man when like i said i said i i thought it would have something to do with time or time travel and there she's like no but we might see other dimensions no all right so we might see other dimensions i did want to yeah that's what nuts. the fuck i did want i did want to touch nuts. up on something that 
I was thinking about in between the live feed, the your story you had today, and um, and just these interviews. Yeah, I did three hours. Now, of live when I was stream. listening to the Neoplatonic lectures of Manly Hall like a year ago, his yeah. whole premise on Neoplatonism, which pretty much destroys all scientific endeavors, was his death. Like, I don't know if it was Plato or Proclus. But he basically the Neoplatonists were saying being is irrational and it's beyond reason. And to have that statement means philosophy can never fathom it. Science can never fathom it. And if these 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 roots of man's faculties, basically, because really, I mean, that's what philosophy is. It's, you know, it's the. uh it's an, a way to actually use reason appropriately. And science is basically using the senses to exercise reason. If, if being is beyond reason, then what isn't? What can, what can man do to connect with an, an unreasonable state of absolutism or, or all-encompassing being like the insof? And... That's very, that's very much where Henri Bergson, Moyna Mather's brother, came in with his philosophy and work in the Sorbonne, right? His, under, his, his looking at matter and memory and the evolution of the cosmos as it relates to human intuition. But that's really not but even the most significant part of that. Wasn't that what the Platonists were trying to get to, though, was thergy and art was the I only what so. means an irrational state in order to get in touch with being itself? Well, that's a methodological issue that you're applying to the Platonists, and I don't know if that is really the most significant way to understand them. I think that's actually a lot more um, relevant. I to, thought Thurgy was like um, their final, so like the 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 highest peak, the, the that epitome was than, of the philosophy. That, that's more than so. That's more than Neoplatonists, and there's a massive distinction between Platonism. Well, yeah, and yeah, Neoplatonism, the Neoplatonists. Yeah. Right. I mean, they took it into a. They took so, the yeah, idea of forms yeah, but, and like re, re, made it a religious thing for the most part. Well, yeah. Through the development of emanationist theory, we we created the idea of theosis and the idea that mankind or humankind can be divinized to become more like God, um, and that is ultimately the result of or the evolution of Platonic thought, which simply states all forms participate in an archetypal form, right? That there's these universal forms or ideals or ideas that govern all details with yeah. underneath them. Like, like, like absolute forms, Bria forms, Yetzira yeah. forms, Asaya. That is a very platonic sort oh, of methodology. Yeah, the whole structure, yeah. However, it does. Yeah, it does incorporate. It is also interpretable though, through an Aristotelian point of view. And if you want to understand the deconstructivist postmodern understanding of, of Kabbalistic neoplatonic uh, emanationist theory, you should read Gershom Sholem's protege's work, Moshe Adele, or read Elliot Wolfson, because Moshe Adele in Kabbalah New Perspectives or in his masterpiece, Absorbing Perfections, what a great word. Could you imagine, if I told you that the best book on Kabbalah ever written was titled absorbing perfections yeah. i'm still what saving up to say? get it i only have new perspectives right so it's all well it's all good yeah. stuff i'm glad adele's that you got good because yeah. adele 
Adele looks at how contemporary philosophy from, from post-structuralism to deconstruction is interpreted and obviously present within early Jewish thought, like from Abraham Abelafia through, you know, all the way back to Merkava okay. mysticism. Adele really looks at that stuff and in, in the most brilliant way, because these philosophical gestures are present in the earliest forms of spirituality. And that is where I think we see the union of spirituality and philosophical thought as it first started to develop from, you know, Socrates, Plato into Aristotle mm -hmm. and beyond. Now, so when we look at the modern interpretation of that stuff, especially through like the writings of Jacques Derrida, and if you want to understand Nietzsche to Jacques Derrida, you should look at their more mystical books. Right, like Zizek wrote two books on Christianity. Do you know yeah. what they're called? So the first one he wrote is called The Puppet and the Dwarf or The Perverse Core of Christianity. Okay. Great title, right? Isn't that a great title? It's like The Puppet and the Dwarf, The Perverse Core of Christianity. <laughs> Brilliant. You all, you already can imagine the kind of shit he's going to get into in that, right? Yeah, no. I... But then he followed it. He followed it up with a book on St. John, everybody's favorite apostle to hate. And that book is called The Fragile Absolute or Why the Christian Legacy is Worth Fighting For. And between those two books, you can get a very clear postmodernist, but also structuralist understanding of the sort of the, the dual gestures that Christianity has had in post-pagan philosophy, that is, philosophy after Plato well yeah they kind of continue right i mean and absolutely you had that with pseudo i mean it, everything everything was platonic and neoplatonic up until uh, aquinas and the discovery of the writings of aristotle aristotle wasn't discovered till the 10th century and that's when aquinas was like oh my god i'm going to restructure all of theology he came, came up with the first arguments or theological arguments for priestly celibacy because they didn't exist before then and weren't practiced until the 18th century. So you can put that baby mm. to bed right now, right? Um, priests, priests were mostly not meant to be celibate except for uh, until the Counter-Reformation started pointing mm. the finger. So Aquinas came back, or uh, Aristotle came back through Aquinas. And, and the real thing that um, Jordan Peterson doesn't understand about postmodernism and post-structuralism, the thing that People like Zizek, who is, walks the line between those two paths, just like Umberto Eco does. Umberto Eco really walked the line between structuralism and post-structuralism. But the thing that Derrida was fighting against was the, the platonic idea of a metaphysics of what he calls a metaphysics of presence. The idea that there is something behind okay. the thing. That the thing isn't just interpreted. He said, like imagine the ideal like form? an infinite bottom. Okay. Yeah. So the idea, and, and look at like things like uh, fundamentalist thought or radical evangelical certitudes and um, cult leaders, all these sort of people who, who believe the ideological certainty and interpreting society through oppression of a true ideal or ultimate form, that is the evil of Platonic thought. That is why Aristotle was so purifying to what Plato had written. Now, Plato's flaw was metaphysics. He believed that the thing actually represented the thing. And I don't have to, like, I, I hate to sound like a hippie wacko, but, like, 
go take a bunch of acid or DMT and you'll see that the thing doesn't no. represent the thing. The thing opens a doorway to so much fucking shit that you can't even begin to categorize it with your pitiful right. human mind. And you can get that through being straight sober and just astral traveling or just falling in love with someone and seeing 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 eternity in a grain of sand like William mm-hmm. Blake did, right? So, to finish that, Plato misperceived metaphysics in the same way that Aristotle misperceived teleology. Aristotle believed that the details are what actually defines a thing, but those details point to an ultimate purpose of that thing, which also leads us into the understanding of the doctrine of theosis or divinization of man. Like, so we have all these flawed attributes, like you and me are flawed. We're fucking yeah, that's human the beings, premise right? in like most Christian yeah. ideolo- like ideology. So, so in Plato, we're flawed because we are striving for an absolute perfect yeah. ideal. In Aristotle, we are obviously comprised of divine virtues, which is where we get virtue ethics from, as well as flawed failings and, and you know, the, the chips and cracks yeah. in our soul, the, the, the dross in our alchemical alembic. And therefore, why do we have dross? Why do we have shit in our souls? So that we can purify it and cleanse it for an ultimate being, form of being to arrive at an ultimate state that is di- more divine and more human than human. That is Aristotle's flaw, is this teleology, the purpose of a thing. Why are we going to a place? So they both approach Well, they're the looking same at cause, it at two but... ends, right? Like Plato's looking at it from top down. Aristotle's looking at it from bottom up. One's, exactly. one's using the exactly. senses to to climb and the other one's already in the abstract and it's fu- so fuzzy that concepts of, of things it takes a while to get to in the ideal you know and this is why what brings us now to the structuralist and post-structuralist movement or the modernist and post-modernist movement these terms are not exactly cognate but they are relevant and interrelated. I mean, this brings us directly into Michel Foucault, his history of sexuality, his power structures that were usurped by the new university crowd, right? So what Derrida was denying was denying that there was a metaphysics of presence at all. There is not anything that the details of our being, that the things that make you a person don't necessarily need to guide you to something else. And the things that are good about you don't necessarily indicate a goodness that is greater than you. So Derrida denied that. He said, what defines us is our difference. And he even changed the spelling of the word difference to difference, right? And by difference, he means there is no relationship between those things. And I think that is where Henri Bergson really needs to be taken more seriously and I think that's what leads us to the merging that we're seeing between scientific thought, uh, scientific studies and philosophical thought. I don't think we're there yet. I think that we're seeing the developments of understanding of the merging of these two, two things in the way that uh, physics and quantum physics are developing and in our understanding of our own brain chemistry and the effects of psychedelics so on our spiritual why do you think development. In the administrations, especially within the millennial generation, that we are showing the strongest form of the breaking down of identity and uh, like a, more of a decadent behavior 
than any generation through a, a, a perversion of the uh, critical theory. I mean, we really are showing a, a, an odd breakdown of, of the norms that have built up first world countries to the point where we can, you know, we're almost at a point of no return when it comes to, uh, I, I guess, traditional ethics and what keeps, you know, uh, nuclear families in, in check to, to perpetuate uh, both class and nation. I mean, just the idea of like only one group out of all these other groups, like have the slowest um, birth rate to the point where any form of, of uh, either migration or a form of sexual orientation can completely destroy the na- the nation's homogeny in terms of the actual native groups that are there to perpetuate the civilization can be completely washed over. We see this with just both the North American situation and the European. And this hasn't even been the last six years that this has been a a way to use bodies of mass immigration. It's, it's, it's a really weird situation with, with these philanthropists funding $8 billion human trafficking, uh, and NGOs to actually have this kind of thing happen within the EU and people are calling it out for what it is. And it doesn't start just with the trafficking. It starts with the conditioning of culture through these administrations in, in university. This is the acceptance of, you know, it's the slow boil of, you know, the frog in the pot kind of, thing when it comes to just changing the, the, the cultural norms into just decadent behavior. I mean, I, I, I call it decadent behavior because it's completely opposite of like really what I'm doing, like having a nuclear family, like actually trying to teach, um, you know, my son to have like an identity in terms of like his, his religious ethnicity, you know, not so much an, a racial thing, but an, but a, a metaphysical uh, impression, a worldview in that sense, because ethnicity is always the cultural setting and not so much, you know, why is, why is Christendom dying in the West so quickly because of the way the administrations are teaching uh, children, especially in the humanities. You know, it's, it's almost like it's, gotten totally engineered for just that you know the hatred of of the european man this you know the whole idea of the authoritarian uh what was it the authoritarian man something like that a book that came out in the 50s that was like anyone that has this idea of like group pride is is uh it's a form of uh a psychological uh, problem. I forgot what it's called, but that's what the author- that book, the authoritarian personality, was trying to convey with the European groups within Christianity. It was this was obviously an offshoot of like going back to the Frankfurt School. This was their main focus. Was uh, I forgot the name of the psychological? It wasn't psychotherapy. It was something else. But they use it as a means of anyone that has any type of uh, 
group centeredness. It was it, it, outside of a minority. It, it was a form of a, like a neurotic diagnosis or something like that. I forgot the name of just the whole thing that Freud was going for with uh, eventually led into, you know, what the Frankfurt School used Freudian psychology to attack ethnic majorities. Yeah, didn't uh, it's very odd. You're it's not psychotherapy. Uh, yeah, isn't that the the. I mean, didn't Jurgen Habermas have a lot to to say about that? Um, I don't know. Did he? I can't remember. Um, Sam, some of my brain. But they ended up saying that like, there was no like in the authoritarian personality. There was really no grounds for any of their their claims. It was pseudoscience. It was pseudoscience that got politicized in the in the schools to the point where we have the humanities for what it is now with like women's studies and um, certain subjects within the humanities in university that has brought itself out to hating, you know, hating Western man to the point where it's, uh, you know, we have drug addicted fathers who leave their the whole thing has been structured for the most part to totally break down the nuclear identity and if you look at the idea of the nuclear family it is a domestic uh like as the matrimony it is a domestic partnership you know this is a domestic church like you are playing role of priest and priestess and you are creating through like this alchemical idea of Tao the unity that causes progeny, like the third tripartite of the, the group, which is the, the offspring, the outcome of Tao in itself, like creating the new being. And I think that the idea in Christian layman sense, like as a domestic church, no one's really saying like they really are using the idea of Tao I don't know. It almost seems like they kind they they don't want to call it that, but it is that when you you say there is a domestic church, there is a priest and priestess, and they are creating progeny. In it, it in itself becomes, you know, it kind of makes sense that that would be a sacrament within itself. Um, it kind of is self-explanatory, but to attack that, you attack everything that is homogenous about nation and group and identity for the most part in terms of, you know, um, what opposites even are defined as like when it comes to, you know, Canada or America or, you know, it's not just language, but, you know, it is, it is the idea of the homogenous. It just goes back down to the very basics of family you know, why Why is it that I could be a traditional man when it comes to raising a family the way hundreds of thousands of generations, I guess you could say, all the way down to the Paleolithic time, like kind of treated it, or at least the evolution of it that brought itself up to be what it is, which is the domestic church, which is what I I kind of find what matrimony really is, really having that person like the way 
I don't know. You have you read Dion Fortune's um, the Esoteric? Uh, what was that? Yeah, I'm actually Esoteric. staring at a first edition of it Something right in front of, of Love and Marriage. Yeah, I I have a hard time with that book, man. Of marriage was. Yeah, Esoteric Philosophy of Love and Marriage. Is. Yeah. You know, now, she was like 19 or actually 20, have... and she didn't have a single degree and just opened up a shop as a therapist on like a London street. She like had no. sex one time and opened up a shop as like a specialist in sexual therapy and interrelationships between men and women. Back in the day, man, you didn't take anything to declare yourself an expert and do business as. Can you imagine me and you as like, I could be like a brain surgeon, you could be a gynec. Our justification is, for me, I've seen a brain, and you, you've seen a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like I mean, it would have been a lot easier to actually have uh, some credentials back in the day than it is now. Oh, man. For two years, is because that's how long it took to read everything there was, pretty much, that he could get his hands on, and he yeah, was a doctor. You know, boom. So I, I was right about yeah. Habermas uh, in the Frankfurt School. Yeah, so I did a lot of work on Habermas and Eric Fromm, of course, as well. I mean, the Frankfurt School's issues were, in my opinion, more emphasized on trying to connect analytical philosophy and the Anglo-American tradition with continental philosophy than they were really to do it. I mean, you can extrapolate a lot of critical theories out of especially Theodore Adorno's social change ideas and, and the role of the, the family in that. But I mean, that's just part of the puzzle. And really philosophically, what we have to realize is after the 70s, and Habermas and all of them, mm-hmm. what she, after the sexual after, revolution, yeah, after after Michel Foucault was done with his whole thing, and everything like Zizek and others, and like, uh, especially like Alain Badiou, the Francist, they came along and really did a good job synthesizing that. That's why and this this bit because I want to talk about a few other things as well. That is why the talk between Peterson and Zizek was so crucial. And of course, came at it from a complete misunderstanding of what Zizek, because you know he hadn't read all of Zizek's twenty thousand brilliant books. Peterson's written one book, which may or may not be brilliant. I don't know. I haven't read it. But Zizek's written all these books, many read, and are they're genius? They're all genius. I mean, there's a reason he is who he is. When Zizek then gave his response to Peterson's criticism of Marxism, classical Marxism, which is not what Zizek is into actually at all, um, Zizek's in this deep, deep philosophical development of the conversation, and Peterson's a fucking a psychologist working mainly as a clinician. Totally different fields, put, but putting them in the same room was absolutely brilliant, especially given the fact that you, they were properly allowed three and a half hours to sort shit out. When Zizek finished his bit, Peterson said, he said, he said, why do people call you, say what they say about you? Why do you even say this about yourself? Why don't you just call your, your thinking? Because it's so well flushed out. It's so comprehensive of all relevant developments in Western intellectual thought. Why don't you just call it Zizekianism or, or, you know, Slavogism and stuff? And Zizek's just too fucking humble, man. He's Slovene. He's 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 from Ljubljana. He's like Slovenia, man, and he's not looking to make a name for himself like we North Americans love to do, right? He's just trying to add his bit right. to the Western corpus of intellectual thought. 
in the process, he added so much that honestly, he does in the future. We will talk about Zizek in a way that we talk about 20th century philosophy. I really think we're going to lump Reich, right. Reich and Freud and Jung all together as early psychologists. And then we're going to talk about end of the 20th century and Zizekian, Zizekianism, like, because he really takes the cake. It's going to take us easy 150 years to unpack what he's written. Because it's not Marxist. He just uses Marx to highlight certain ideological ideas that pertain to a Lacanian understanding, because Jacques Lacan is crucial to understanding Zizek, and, and Jacques Lacan is really the, the furthest extreme we see in philosophical uh, psychoanalysis as it relates to metaphysics. Like The connection between psychoanalysis and metaphysics, how we experience ourselves in the world versus how the actual reality around us is, that's a crucial thing to understand. And that's, a, that's something that science is understanding and studying more and more. Spirituality is investigating okay. methodologies more and more. And Zizek has connected these things in a way that, I mean, he talks so much about gender issues and, and popular 1940s cinema that it's just going to take us a while to figure it all out. Um, there's a lot I can say on that. Yeah, my book, The Ethics of Understanding God, is my opus magnum and gets deeply, deeply into these things, as well as having I even I even you know I sometimes I think the entire reason I wrote my the masters that I wrote was just smuggle in a tiny chapter with a slight nod to hermeticism and to reinsert it into the mainstream philosophical. Oh, into really? I was like, what if I insert a little bit of hermetic ideals? Or I or study. That's not even the right word. A bit of hermetic notion or perspective into the mainstream corpus of philosophical literature. It's quite possible that I spent seven years just doing that. And hey, it did get me into fucking, you know, mm. an Ivy. So it was it was it it right. worked. It worked. Now, in retrospect, I don't know if it was uh, no, it was the right thing to do anyway. Um, but that's the crucial point I think we should understand is Zizek sort of blew up these models. And especially as he looks at the experience of trauma in the symbolic orders of how we compose ourselves as human beings, right? So you understand your role as a father in our society in a certain way, mm -hmm. right? And right. how you interpret your role as a father is influenced by socio-economic norms and standards that have developed since the industrial revolution to what we know today right? right Zizek then looks at the Lacanian conflict between the symbolic orders and the real orders not to mention the imaginary ones which is where that's where ideology goes crazy and Lacan was focused on because Lacan breaks reality into three structures real the, the real orders symbolic orders and imaginary orders so that everything we experience is in part of the symbolic orders and this is not orders in magical yeah. orders we're gonna fucking trip everyone's brain up here because oh they're gonna be thinking about like mystic magical orders no we're talking about orders of relevance as we say in semiotics so orders of relevance signification in general in its most abstract scientific cognitive terms so symbolically is how we experience reality the imaginary orders is our departures from reality. 
Lacan focused on that okay. as a form of understanding mental illness in psychoanalytic structures and then equated them to socioeconomic terms. But Zizek focused on the conflict between symbolic orders of relevance and their conflict with the real orders. And the real order, the only real one is pure physicality, as in you don't experience the real, what you could call the real, unless you jump off a building and hit ground. When you die, you've hit the real. That's the real. There's no interpretation going on in your brain anymore. You're done. Game over. Another instance of that is when yeah. is when you love. When you fall in love, you may as well. Hey, we're gonna hit forty five. So I know, right? We're doing good, man. Maybe it's because I have my data and the Wi Fi going at the same. Time. Yeah. Proud of us using this app. If 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 this app was completely reliable, so happy. Oh wait, it says trying to reconnect, but we're still there. We're still going. So if we do hit forty five. Do you want to do one more, or do you? Well, I I say we just we should have a close. Anyway, okay. let me just could be ten me, seconds. Yeah, from now. It could be. <laughs> let me finish this point. Well, we, my my hypothesis is that it craps out between twenty and forty minutes because it has two times before. The last time doesn't count because you hit it with your toe, you said, right? But yeah, yeah, as yeah. you, well, of all people understand, just because something's happened two out of three times doesn't actually mean shit, does it? No. 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 So, the all right, so when, you, love. When, when the symbolic orders of our, our, of our interpreted reality interact with real orders of relevance, which is physical crisis and trauma, which can include jumping off a building and hitting the ground and dying or falling in love. Mm -hmm. Because whenever you experience real trauma, the symbolic orders of relevance, the way in which you interpret the world is shattered. It's broken apart. And this is the, the true psychological alchemical dissolution, the solve. And the beauty mm -hmm. of that trauma is that we get to put ourselves together in a different way again. And that needs to be applied to socio socioeconomic orders of relevance. And that's where you get a lot of the neo-Marxist revolutionary theory and the gender interpretation studies that have dominated the media for so long, right? So you get people yeah. saying, this is, a, this is a reality, and therefore it's the most important thing. And nothing else is more important than us respecting this trauma, this crisis that allows us to put things together in a different way. What it ignores is the responsibility to put things together in a way that is valuable, that is ethical. It ignores ethical responsibility almost entirely. And that, I think, is what you're seeing going on when you talk about, uh, when I hear you say things about your struggles as a family man and nuclear family. The term nuclear family always rubs me the wrong way, but that's probably just my own prejudice. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, I look, what I mean, I kind of look at it like the Americana, leave it to beaver, suburbia, like the outcome of like the highest point of, of homogeny, like the American European standard really ever got to in terms of. So do you see family. there being a danger or damage in eradicating our, our traditional values for lack of a better word in favor of the relativistic open interpretation or what Derrida would call the free play of traces in like saying this, this is a platonic ideal 
we should have these kinds of families, these kinds of upbringings, these kinds of social norms, ethical standards and values because they are part of the good, capital G? Or do you see it as these things help us build a better society and therefore lead to a better life, which is the Aristotle's uh, teleological argument? Or how do you see that? And where is the danger? What should we do? What should I mean, we do? It's Well, I guess it's because I, I do have a Catholic bias towards it. Oh, always good to know your biases. Um, I do look at it like it has an actual relevance towards the economic standard for really the whole purpose of the five-day work week, why we even have the weekend, why we even have, you know, the whole purpose of the Gregorian calendar for the most part. It starts with the family and then ends with, I guess, the individual and not the other way around. But we've kind of flip-flopped it where it's like less people want to procreate and it's become more self-centered and it's open-ended now. And I don't really know if that's the good because, I mean, if you have the eligibility of having enough eggs before you're 30 to be fertile and just fertility in itself within a dying... uh a dying first, like, you know, native population uh, demographic. Like, I honestly feel like it's important to perpetuate, especially, like, when it comes to the European the European states. I mean, when you compare, like, Germanic populations per family, it's, like, less than 1.2 compared to, like, 3.2 with, like, is, uh, with, like, Muslim families that are in the same exact location. So, so obviously more like, German babies to perpetuate the white race? <laughs> well, no, because I think white is kind of, I don't really believe white is really a thing. When it comes to like... Yeah, I'm messing with you, man. I'm, I think I'm language you, man. becomes a thing. That's a joke about you, That's a joke well, about I mean, you being an Aryan white supremacist. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you, but it's a really important thing because... I I do think the idea of white nationalism being more of a popular thing in Europe and North America is because it's we're losing the value of really where the Christian identity was important in order for that kind of racial uh, segregation to not exist. Ethnicity was dominated over over racial um, phenotypes, and now it's coming back. You know, especially in places like England, like where men don't really have the identity of, you know, the traditional Christian European. Now it's the white nationalist and the women, especially women who, you know, were drug addicts or alcoholics during their college days. They're kind of turning more. There's more majority converts of European women being Muslim than than just being, you know, living in a decadent lifestyle. So what does that say about the void that's happening in a Protestant majority? Like, it's the last gasp of Protestantism that's causing this kind of wedge in the homogenous groups within these states. And the loss of of really the uh, religious ethnicity is kind of just the the missing link I think that caused that reaction on top of the fact that there is 
more multiculturalism happening within with on purpose happening within these these uh states obviously in places like poland and a lot of the baltic states it's not happening because they understand through their conditions the last like you know 70 80 years they just got back their democracy they kind of understand how the west is turning in on itself it's like self-consuming due to weird i wouldn't say weird but it is very very progressive uh forms of critical theory that's caused this kind of evolution to be rampantly fast on top of demographic change with but it's not it's happening but it's like what do you want to believe because you're going to get conned into a national like a form of white identitarianism if you don't look at it with a theological cultural manner does that make sense i mean yeah i think i think i i get what you mean you know you don't be race you don't become racist if it's a theological if you have a theological groundwork for the purpose of civilization and group identity you will become it and there will be the idea of you know there is a new wave of fascism that's happening within the zoomer generation that's unprecedented because it's going to be the most conservative reaction to millennial generation and the outcome of of um what we have in you know uh in universities today you know what's the opposite of liberalism you know if liberalism's the new the new norm that's kind of just where i think the zoomer generation is when it comes to treating uh people like um you know, Evola as really their hero when it comes to political theory. And he, he's, he's getting very, very, very popular in groups like under 21. Now. Wow. Like he's a seller. Wow. Yeah. I see it a lot online. Like I'm not, there's a reason why like Peterson decided to come out of the woodwork and the whole IDW I really do feel like they're here to oppress the new bubble of, of right-wing thinking among Zoomer generation. They're there to keep it, you know, to keep it at bay. And even with one of the, uh, the Stein brothers and Peterson on the talk with, um, with uh, Joe Rogan, they pretty much admitted, like, we're here to stop this from happening. The whole purpose of the the intellectual dark web is to keep the radical right from reacting to the radical left that's bubbling because they do have more guns than the radical left. And there will be a heavy reactionary cause to really what's going on. And I think that's when Peterson had his breakdown, epitome moment when he started doing his YouTube. I don't even know, like when he would just talk in his room on the, uh, the camera he kind of just broke down crying because he he saw what was going to happen a few years ago. And that's when he kind of started just 12 rules for life. The whole purpose was that it's, it's really a way of softening fascism from rising again. Yeah. You know, you know, when I, in 2001, when I got, I got admitted to graduate school and I asked professors that first year, a couple of professors, I said, what do you think is going to be, the biggest problem over the next several decades 
and they described exactly what is happening. Like to them, it wasn't a question what was going to happen. They described to a T exactly what's happening today. And they could see it just through the development of our philosophical mindset as a culture and the way we were moving. And uh, yeah, I think, I mean, the biggest problem is actually the anti-intellectualism. It is the, uh, you know, the rejection of open dialogue and debate and disagreement, which is really essential. I mean, dialectics, dialectics is a big part. I mean... Western 20th century philosophy that we need to not lose. We need to be able to debate ideas and yeah. to disagree with each other and to get at the root of why we think what we think. Mm-hmm. You, you, have you noticed though, like a lot of right wing thinking is being submerged, especially online, like with Twitter oh, and I, YouTube I... and the way Silicon Valley is pretty much totally smashing right wing dissident uh i know what i I know what's going on you know like people for the most part i I mean i watched i watched i watched the you know you got people like faith goldie being completely dismantled yeah bro i've been shadow banned on most of my accounts and and i i'm not controversial at all i'm surprised i'm not because because you're a fascist nazi well i mean i think these these yeah all right i don't know i don't know i mean i really don't understand this new wave of authoritarian right wing, I like extremism, but like I said, like I am a trad cat with an esoteric mind, and I do understand the importance of the European way of of, of thinking, especially when it comes to the evolution of uh, more Kabbalistic, Hermetic, alchemical, Gnostic, and really the the surface of it all really the guise which is uh christianity for the most part where it it, it has its importance and honestly i don't really feel like a new fear is going to ever exist when it comes to as much as we think trump's like this dog whistling you know far right leader i i really feel like it's it's not him it's it's the he's really the outcome of just possibly the end of uh international communism which is this whole idea with globalism today and just the ban- the whole idea of usury that's brought itself up oh, to yeah. this point with i i think it's coming to an end and i think this pandemic really is really showing the weakness of international communism and the eu i mean the fact that we didn't even tell the EU we're just going to stop complete traffic and trade with you guys two, le- less than yeah. two months ago. Like, what does that say about, like, a new wave of nationalism on the rise just for self-preservation? Well, yeah, look at Brexit. Yeah. Yeah, that's another, that's another reactionary yeah. thing, too. The EU, I think the EU was really the best thing that the communists gained before the end of the, so- like, you know, the Soviet Union. No one really knows, like, business rolled into another state of being, like, these these people who, who funded all of this, they're, you know, the mask was never pulled from them, even though the regime changed. It just went into a new, a new form of business. And uh, the way the outcome of the EU and 
and the American empire and Zionism is going to play a big factor with the cultural fabric and the reaction to that fabric, which, like I said, is if we don't destroy Christianity, I don't mean like me or like if Christianity doesn't get destroyed, then it's, I don't know. I mean, it it really is the only saving factor of Western, uh, Western first world idealism, really. Uh, You know, I'm at the point now in my life where I'm sort of, I mean, and this is as a religious professional speaking, I'm sort of tired of religion now. Like 10 years ago, I was, I was down with it. 10 years before that, I was gung ho. And now I just sort of think we need to uh, throw, you know, toss, toss it out. Just, I just think we, we, but we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And the baby is spirituality, yeah, and 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 free thought. Oh, of course, yeah, that's what we need. Um, mm-hmm. But and religious structures are only ever meant to have helped us sustain spiritual progression and transformation. As soon as a religious structure becomes oppressive or political or economic, it's failed in its mission uh, as being transformative, in my opinion. So. Yeah, but I think now well, it might be too late for us to to preserve religious structures. I think we might need to evolve past them. Um, you know, I really, yeah. I just, I just, I'm starting to feel that way. Um, I mean, even in even in neo even I, in paganism, I mean, it's almost becoming edgier for like Latin mass uh, well, to be I, a thing. You know, again. I, I when I got married in 2003, that lasted six months, and I was the first wedding at. Holy Rosary Cathedral to have a Latin mass and wedding ceremony since Vatican II. And that was a big deal back then. It's been a big deal for a while to, to have these, you know, we have this, this, this to and fro of going into that, which is new and going back into that, which is old and back and forth and back and forth. It's really pointless. I think um, the mysteries yeah. Want to have that pendulum exist are the mysteries and they're going to be fine whether or not you uh tithe or pay dues or or kowtow to any religious structure because a religious structure necessarily becomes a socio-political economic structure right i mean that's just a fact i mean i'm living at a mm-hmm. pagan retreat center here run by a church of isis and it's got the same shit going on that you see in the Anglican Church, the Episcopal, Roman Catholic, Presbyterian, United, you name it. They all, like, I, I was raised in the Maharishi TM transnomination world in my family. And it's all this same shit, man. People, people are people. Like at Pantheocon, which I was just at, you know, with Lon and Chick and Tabby and all, everyone, all the cool people, all the cool kids were there, Starhawk. And, uh, you get this huge divide, you know, between people. We were in the elevator. People are like, "So, what's you guys? What are you guys into?" They're like, "They're like, oh, we're we're pagans." It's like, "Oh, into wicked?" Like, "No, no, we're traditional British witchcraft or something." It's like, "Who gives a fuck?" Oh yeah, the, the Paul Hudson guys. I don't even believe in traditional British witchcraft. I mean, I know it existed, but come on, there was nothing written about it, and maybe there was. Okay, I don't care. The point is. Who cares about I mean, distinct d- defining yourselves away from other people that you could build bridges between? 
So instead of building bridges and interacting with mm-hmm. these people, you're just putting up walls. And Derrida talked about that, especially as he's interpreted by John D. Caputo. If you haven't read D. Uh, John Caputo, Deconstruction in a Nutshell, read that fucking book. Oh my God. It's just an interpretation mm-hmm. of conversations with Derrida. And the most important lesson from that, I think, was understanding the inherent violence of communities communities are not the way forward we've seen that now more than ever i was writing about this in my master's thesis back in the early 2000s and today like back then i was i was seen as prophetic as part of this new prophetic movement of interpreters now if i said what was cutting edge back then now people look at me like with a blank stare and say well duh because we're seeing it played out we've seen it played out we 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 know that this tribalism and communitarianism it's it's hostile it's violent towards anyone that's not part of your club if you're not in the club you're evil and we're going to kill you you're dead is that it's genetic, not genetic it's ideological it's people saying this so it's cultural conditioning no it's it's human ideology so humans have a weakness and that weakness is called ideology saying my system's better than your system, my club's better than your club. If you're not part of my club, well, then you're bad, and maybe I should just, you know, rob you and kill you. That's... I mean, I feel I feel that way about, like, initiation and the Paschal Mystery. Yeah, absolutely, you should. I mean, I do feel like there is an initiatic code that has a relevance towards the idea of, like you know, the ladder of ascension, like, you know, the golden chain of uh, Pythagoras, the idea of ascending the planets through the corpus hermeticum. Um, But I also do believe in the idea that Logos incarnate was an actual, an actual being that caused the sanctification of humanity in order to progress to that spiritual evolution, which caused the threat, the third tripartite, of the Trinitarian mystery, which conveyed and validated the idea of the existence of the supernal triad in like, in a, in a sense, in an Euclidean way, you know, kind of like finally tying up the triangle by adding the last or the third point. But who's to say that, that, I that do reality understand. doesn't go back all the way to Mesopotamia, Babylon, the Akkadians, and like that, that, well, I think the ritual might, but the actual revelation. You, you think I the think revelation is was Jesus historical? Christ. Yeah, I yeah. yeah, that's okay. I don't mind if you think the revelation was Jesus Christ. Hell, I'm a fucking, you know, <laughs> fucking trained priest, right? So I technically should believe that too. But for me, I can't ignore the mythological pre-narrative that you see with Horus and Isis and Osiris. And I'm not... Well, yeah, but it was astrological, Not just astrological, right? It's mythological. And mythology is much more powerful than astrology because mythology is something that we keep alive human being to human being. Astrology is something that... Well, the astrology astrology came up with an argument based on a set of positions and numbers in a fixed point in time. And any time you... Well, that's how the Magi found the incarnate. But that's a myth. That's a story based on an older story. Well, there yeah, wasn't the whole idea of wise men who Isis showed up and Osiris. Is what I'm saying, brother. Like, if right. that's part of your theology, more power to you. 
But I think it would be naive to believe that three magi from the East physically showed up to a manger and brought frankincense, gold, and myrrh to a baby. Well, no, the three kings are are three stars that did follow the crux in the southern point of the hemisphere during the winter solstice. Honestly, what what that it conveys makes, what it makes me think of is mercury, sulfur, and salt, the three principles of nature, as being mm-hmm. the harbingers and and sanctifiers of the philosopher's stone. Right, and this is this is a retelling. Well, that's the thing. Christ yes, is the philosopher's and that's a stone. Retelling of the Horus story. But the whole idea is, I I do feel like they had to have a relevance for it to be a collective thing for humanity too. The whole idea of um, of being the whole premise, like in Kabbalah, when you hear like people like. Um, What's his name? Halavi with Talodi and Kabbalah. God wanted to know himself. And the only way to know himself was to completely remove himself in and self in order to be a single point in space, time and space. And the only way to do that was to create a creation, to create the evolution of species, to bring itself up to the mammalian state. And then for the mammalian state, to not only have an eyeness, the Cartesian eye, like, but to also have a purification of the brute animal aspect, and and have the evolution of soul, the 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 dignified rational soul through a form of revelation, which was the Semitic tribe, in order to have a perfect person cause the incarnation of being in order for being to behold himself in order for Yahweh to behold himself in order for the I to behold himself. I am that I am was the relationship of all of the new and the old covenant. I think after that, the whole idea that Christ was the reflection of a perfect soul through the, uh, the Albedo state was to show that, the third tripartite of the Trinity, this whole idea of the Holy Ghost was the collective relationship that humanity can share now through that sanctification. Like now the job's been complete, being beheld, being, and now we can co-participate in a higher standard. It was almost like this was a this was a private revelation for really the premise of the bicameral mind. Like, but it was bigger than just when man decided to think philosophy started. It was it was a relationship that it was metaphysical from the very start um, within an actual tribal group. And then philosophy, Greek philosophy merged itself when John decided to say, in the beginning, there was Logos. You know, in the beginning, there was God. And what is it? In the beginning, there was Logos and Logos was with God and Logos was God. He finally kind of, merged Greek the Heraclit- Heraclitus' idea of being the very ultimate reality which is Logos I think it's the most important Greek word and merged it with with the relationship that was sent out by the patriarchs once that merge happened now 
there was an actual relative story within a within the tribal group and the actual metaphysics outside of that story within brutish culture that was evolving different from the private revelation within that group i do feel like there had to be an incarnation in order for that covenant to be complete because technically catholicism is the continuation of the mosaic covenant there is a temple there's a priesthood and there's a sacrifice that relationship causes that co-eternal covenant i guess you could say in the most hebraic sense you could say because the only way to alleviate sin was for god to satisfy himself with his own pardon and i think that's very relevant because the line of uh you know the line of light that came down from in sof in order for the incarnation to happen to makut was only finally blessed and 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 perfected was through the brutish destruction of the body and there's so much heavy alchemical symbolism in that but at the same time like i think there had to be a historical aspect to the most abstract sense of what we get christian kabbalah out of i mean i am talking completely in this layman sense of a form of christian kabbalah that i don't think rosenroth or um what was the other guy that wrote uh, the other Kabbalah book right before um, Pico. <sighs> I forgot what it was called. But I really feel like this is kind of what modern Christian Gnosis really was conveying, especially through like the Nagamati texts when Christ in the Gospel of Thomas was talking about the immortality of the human you know, like he's very hermetic in in that revelation in the Gospel of Thomas, but also in the Pista Sophia, when basically the four Gospels, when it's admitted, I forget which Gospel it is, when he says, "I talk in parables to the masses, but I talk to you, men, the priests, the new the new line of Levi." He says, "I talk to you and give you the direct knowledge," and that's pretty much all the commentary after the resurrection is in the Pista Sophia. Yeah. But for, it's it's basically an initiatic code. Is a must read text. Yeah, it's very important. I mean, but this is this is where we as as co heirs to the the Trinity in the Supernal Triad with we are uniting the idea of Bira. Because remember Bira is obviously the mother of matter, she's the f- non-formative form. It's basically like saying like matter can't be substantial in form. Like you know, like I don't even know how to explain it. Like it's like looking at uh, just the endless potential at, at a beach of what anything can be. Like it, when it comes to making a sandcastle. Or anything like what people who you make you know stuff out of sand during competitions, it has that endless material potential. The matter, the mater, mari, mara. That's what bira is, but it's also like the most uh, essential state of our our reality, which is the formless matter. And I think 
technically before it gets to the fourth sphere, when it finally becomes a cube or a square, it becomes that solidified state that the mystery of being able to go into the third grade or the, you know, know. the, uh, yeah, the third order is through the revelation of the Holy Ghost after Christ comes and then leaves and gives that revelation. I think that that revelation of Christ, say say the revelation of Christ crucified on the cross. Apologies to all our Wiccan listeners who are probably overdosed right now. They probably love the gender stuff and the neo-Marxism, but now we're talking Jesus stuff nonstop. Anyway, we love you. You know, I know, I know. I'm, oh, it's Gnostic, I'm... though. This is like <laughs> optimistic Gnosticism. It's not pessimistic at all, like Sorry. the Greeks had it. Yeah, you know, no, none of us are no, Marcus right me, now. Brother, pardon me. Pardon, this isn't Valentinian just, at all. I've been going nonstop full bore since 6 a.m., and I've got another th- two days in a row fully scheduled, so I'm being a little bit silly. But But I'm not being stupid. Oh, it's Jesus all right. It's it's two in the morning here. Jesus too, Christ, yeah. I tell you, man. No, I'm not trying to be. Um, Sorry. I'm not trying to be uh, pithy, and uh, or write anything off. Um, and my humor is certainly not meant to be silly. No, I take this stuff very seriously. And, but what I want to say is, oh, Jesus Christ, don't let me forget. No, um, don't you think that? Yeah, that Christ crucifixion. Christ crucifixion. Christ is the um is yeah yeah the mashiach is that do you not think that is the equivalent like christ if if christ isn't christ in that theology in that specific theology and i'm speaking carefully here is he not in the revelation of the yeah, new testament i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna within the context I'm not gonna get into detail of, of christendom here. um i actually have like i have like three Huge, yeah, uh, essays. I'm well, like you're talking I'm about like, post Nicaea, yeah. The, the yeah. norm, the standard yeah. norm the of Nicaea of, of before Christians, Trent. Um, as the complete under as the as the yeah. as okay, I'm talking about the Christ anointed as the Shin unifying the Yod Hey with the Vav Hey to Yod Hey Shin Vav Hey. If that, yes, Christ, yes. Yo, what Johan was talking about? Yo, yo, baby. Pentagrammaton. So, if Christos is the shin of the Yod Hey Vav Hey, do you not think that is therefore the equivalent of when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with a rope tied around his waist to speak the ineffable name of God correctly and be the only person on the planet able to communicate directly with the ultimate reality, correct? Yeah, yeah. So in yeah. Deuteronomy, so in, in yeah. that beautiful book of Deuteronomy, yeah. after all the gay bashing and raping of daughters, <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, right, yeah, all, all the that, actual all priestly that, uh, structure, you know, that's so righteous to do. Um, the priest goes into the holy of holies. He he burns a bunch of stuff, puts his head in the smoke, speaks the name of the tetragrammaton correctly. If he miss says it, he dies and gets pulled out by the yes. rope around his waist, right? So if he just says it correctly, he connects with yeah. the ultimate reality, with God, with Godhead. And Christ, Christ is then yeah. seen as the manifestation right. of that reality in the world. So and 
it was it was more of right. the pure, so Christ the purified the state, state of that, of that. typology. Now, if what the high priests in the Holy of Holies were doing was burning a fuckload of acacia leaves and getting super high on DMT, what does that say about Jesus Christ? Does that mean he that still Jesus tiffering. Christ's greatest sacrament was <laughs> I don't know, actually I mean. maybe getting a bunch his twelve dudes and dudettes high as fuck in the desert? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a reason why the bread has to do with ergot molding, and you know the whole idea of really maybe there was uh, a relationship with bread to be the choice of uh, substance symbolically and wine, the Dionysian situation with that. I mean, the bread, the idea of host goes back to Egypt too. The idea of uh, Eucharistic ritual. More. But this isn't like, yeah, yeah. Keep going. What do you mean? I think it had to do with the Osirian and Horus you mystery. My attention. Because the whole idea, um, it's really what was talked about in um, I forget which lecture Manly Hall talks about it. it was a Christian lecture I think it was like in world religions or something like that because he was trying to equate the idea of like tribal masks in the God form to the Eucharistic administration and the transubstantiation of, of the Eucharist but he both him and if you watch the Zekai's video talks about the relationship that the Eucharist does play with ergot um, ergot fungus which causes like you know yeah. the idea of lysergic acid I well, think they, in a cruder state like you know what basically men in prisons take to even get close to just what you know the merry pranksters really had in the purest, purest form was something for the nervous system it was a shamanic uh, use of the technology of the human nervous system. Now, if you watch like in the DMT spiro molecule, there's a reason why it is a, you know, a conundrum of words. Like it is a spirit molecule of both the spirit and the physical are a merger within the, um, the, um, the nervous system. I think the nervous system is the technology that is specifically for magic in order to cause the evocation of, of both demons and spirits, but also it's meant for the astral, uh, the astral uh, plane. This is a way of getting out of body. You know, the imagination it really is the premise for the hermetic, the whole hermetic philosophy. Imagination is the is. most powerful thing in the universe. And, it, it it goes back to the light, the neurology of light within the ner- the anatomic nervous system. This is the tree that's hidden that we don't see because it is the introverted place. It is sanctified, it's hi- hiding in the holy of holies. Have you read George Carey's God and the uh, George Carey's works yeah. that came out in the twenties? So George Carey, when I first heard about him. He was talked about by Manly Palmer Hall in his book, Man, the Grand Symbol of Mysteries. And it talked about the anatomy of the human body and the relationship it had with, like, the spinal ganglia, 
and there's sections. Hold on, let me open it up. The sections cover. Um, what is it? Where is? All right, so they talk about the story of the cell, incarnations of Vishnu. There's a chapter called The Brain and the Release of the Soul. There's a chapter called Ventricles and the Brain Dew, the Heart, the Seed of Life, the Blood, the Universal Proteus, the Spinal Column and the World Tree, Kundalini and the Sympathetic Nervous System. Now, when he starts getting into the actual esoteric aspects of our human physiology and anatomy, he gets heavily into this man called George Carey. And George Carey wrote this book called God Man, hmm. The Word Made Flesh. And it was this book that pretty much, it was like cats out of the bag. All of the mysteries that, when it came to Egypt, you know, like Schwaller de Lubitz symbolism on him finding out all of these temples were a relationship towards the human body and the macrocosm aspect of the human body. George Carey came out with this book that ties the gospels in with the human body. And he basically conveys in this book that everything about Christ is the story of the activation of the Kundalini in, in the, the uh, anatomic nervous system. And it's based on the cycles of the moon. Your, your solar plex, it's not symbolic uh, chakras. He thinks there's actually a psychochemical germ that every month, every 30 days uh, during, your, during the dominated, you know, if you're Aquarius, it's during the point when the moon is in Aquarius, that there's a germ, this psyche, uh, physiological germ that starts in the root of the base of your spine and if you do certain breathing meditations and following while you follow the uh the revolution of the moon during a moon phase it can cause the the christos or the oil of the spine to rise and go to the pineal gland this was he was talking about the scientific method of the phenomena of natural DMT and the manipulation of natural DMT. And this guy came out in the 20s. And it's like, why don't we know about this in occult circles today? Like, he obviously, he wrote other books. There was called, one was called The Zodiac and the Salts of Salvation. And he covers the 12 mm. cell salts of Paracelsus, who, uh, which was really important because... Obviously, the cell salts had to do with um, the uh, astrological correspondences to the months. Like you would have like silica would be in Capricorn, calcium sulfide would be in Scorpio, natarum phosphorus would be in Libra. And you would take these, dominate, and you would find out like, dude, you know, the way yeah. you would find out about your natal diamond. And you would time it out during your... your uh, mm the moon cycles and he also wrote this book called the relation of the body oh no the, what is it relation of the mineral salts of the body to the signs of the zodiac so he 
really emphasize Paracelsian cell salts to astral timing to take it because technically when our bodies do take the nutrients in our digestive system, when they take the nutrients, they're getting to the very essence of these foods and the salts are the essence of that material. So if you're taking the bare minimal salts in itself, you're taking the essence of really everything you're eating anyway. And I think it was Dr. Schroller or something like that, a German yeah. who, uh, who really brought out cell salts as an important um, pharmaceutical dietary thing to actually eat. What, what, um, what are you waiting diet. for? The Germans. But the, the Germans. Are you waiting for the Germans? The Germans. <laughs> Do you remember that? That was from uh, a Snatch or Lock, right. Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The Germans. Yeah, I'm a big guy, Richie <laughs> Film. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you're, you're speaking so be- beautifully, eloquently, and, and with a, a clear basis of learning that I had to make a, a silly joke. I wanted to tell you also, given some of the subjects you've raised, that, uh, yeah, the other night, uh, coincidentally, I... Um, I uh, I listened to the two and a half, three hour long podcast on the portal with uh, what's his name from Project Veritas with uh, with uh, Weinstein. Yeah, um, oh, the Irish uh-huh. guy O'Keefe. What was his name? Oh yeah, because you know I worked for yeah, a few years as a rock journalist, and uh, the company I worked for they gave us all all like pro- uh, profit sharing instead of payment. And then they sold the in company with all of our work to rock yeah. to uh, for, uh, called Rockstar Weekly. They sold it all to Rolling Stone. Just kept all the money and deleted all of our work. For well, if they had Why? to delete our work to prove that we hadn't done anything to justify the selling of Rockstar Weekly to Rolling Stone. So not that meant all the work I spent backlinking my my three years full-time as a rock journalist all those links became dead which just destroyed my reputation can you imagine telling someone that you have a certain career or profession or that you do a certain thing on the side for good money and then every time they look for all the articles like i interviewed fear factory and metric and all these great bands none of the articles exist today can you imagine that? Like, I would do audio interviews and I'd have to edit Jeez. and splice out no. the question and answers from an hour and a half long interview with, like, Lazarus AD. And they're just gone. And the guy who the guys who run it, ran it, the husband and wife couple in Eastern Canada, just walked off with a couple million. Fucked, fucked all of us. Yeah, I've learned some harsh lessons. Jeez. Why I don't give interviews anymore with mainstream media? Fucking. So, I'm, that's Ken that's O'Keefe my point. I'm fascinated. Project I don't Veritas, know what I, mean, I think about Project Veritas, and I know we're probably going to get banned just for mentioning it. But like, I'm fascinated by journalistic ethics. I'm fascinated by all, all ethics. Like academically, when universities hire me, they hire me as an ethicist. Well, are you surprised about like the Epstein Epstein uncoverings when that journalist knew about it months before the break? But Dude, ABC decided not to go out with it. In Canada, no one's even talking about what happened in Canada with all of that. Like seriously, the world press just buried. 
Yeah, exactly. What was it? Wait, Canada? what was in Canada? Like, you know, you know, Pizzagate. Yeah, right. Like maybe the Clintons are oh, yeah. funders and promoters of this major pedophile ring that might have actually led to the potential murders of Chester well, Bennington and uh and and what's his name? Soundgarden. Soundgarden, what's his name? Well, yeah, but pedophilia is is a part of a like pedophilia darker left part of LHP occultism. Jesus, no, no, I'm. But it is, it is something that the like religious elites, like there is a religion in themselves that they follow that pedophilia is, you know, in in child blood sacrifice is kind of a thing. And think- surprisingly. No one really wants to admit it, but Pizzagate backs that up 110%. You know, the, con- you know, and it, the conspiracy really is not knowing about it, you know, being dude, told it's not a thing. Taken down. Oh, my God. Shit. Um, but, like, so here's the speaker <laughs> that no one knows about what happened in Canada. Like, no one knows. Like, like why no the one... fuck doesn't... Oh, it's crazy. But that's right? real I mean, well, Luciferian, just the, just the whole... isn't it? No one really has made it a do- like. No one understands the dogma of Luciferianism. No, people think Anton Lavey and Satanism is is what it is, but I think Luciferianism goes back to paganism, yeah. leading itself up to what it is within well, the paganism, dark arts of like you know the cult order of the, the Black, the black Sun. Sun. Yeah, like, well, the, Have you ever heard of that? Goodrick Clark was my PhD supervisor. His first book was The Black Sun: The Secret Rituals of the SS. Then he wrote Savitri Devi, Hitler's Priestess. And finally, before he died, he wrote The Occult Roots of Nazism. And his whole purpose was to look at the spiritual underpinnings that led to fascist and totalitarian regimes taking power. The Thule Society. Wasn't it the Fuel Society? And like, what was that Austrian mystic? Right, like, you know, that's, that's... Ostara, of course. But have you ever heard of Ostara? Yeah, by the Austrian mystic. Wasn't uh, Himmler heavily influenced by him? What happened in Canada? Okay, but that's all. That's all. LHP, isn't it? So I I bow to the authorities on this one, but I I I do dabble. I dabble. I dabble in in not conspiracy. I dabble in facts. I like facts, motherfucker. You know what I mean? I like fucking facts. I mean, what about the the Kabbalistic use of well, like Saint Simon with the bloodletting? Never heard anything the about that. The child but abductions I was just in, in Prague, Prague. worshiping, and I, I, I worshipped at the, the oh, it's part of Talmudic in the, in the cathedral there. And do you want to know something? Can I tell you something spiritual? Can we? Can we? We haven't talked at all about the Golden Dawn or ritual magic or initiation or your path or my path. And I love that. I love that we just took. I love that we took a deep dive into no, some not crazy since the beginning. Shit. Yeah. Especially, I love that we. It's <laughs> well, it's very relevant. Do I strike you, you know? as someone it's that the we hottest talk stuff about online? Irrelevant. Irrelevant? No, it's very relevant. But no one who watches cable television knows how, how no, modern and recent we, this we, stuff uh, is yeah, going absolutely. on on the it's, dark it's, web. It's horrifying. Yeah. I, I, it's I, like esoterically relevant. Like all of this sticks, hex and hammer, and other people like that out there to, who are uh, 
who are on the front lines that I don't need to, to bloody my hands in this stuff. But I will say something about this ship to do with Canada and this global elite thing and all this stuff. So, like, you know, when it comes to the Clintons being part of this international pedophile ring that might have actually... Um, yeah, yeah, all with Charles people. and well, there's Epstein. Photos, and there's Weinstein. photos of them with Woody Allen, and I love Woody Hollywood. Allen, but what the fuck? So, I think Woody Allen was a degenerate. I mean, he sexualized. I know what, early just, just, uh, sexual revolution. I just love his movies that, and his that, writings. You know so the much, boomers. Man. I feel guilty. Well, no, we're more normalized to. The decadent oh, behavior, yeah, totally really, what Dude, that when was, I was introduced. One of our teachers washed our mouths out with, with soap, with with pure righteousness in their eyes, and that was at a Rudolf Steiner Walder school. So if that shit was happening there, shit's happening everywhere all the time. Well, now it's just, I feel like they're just trying to sexually confuse children before they're even legal to actually ca- have sexual intercourse it's really weird you're i think public schooling is grooming sexual orientations now i don't understand why no one's the at the uh, legal age to even participate in non uh statutory relations but yet there's you know they're still being groomed like i went to my you know i when i take walks with my son um, we go down to the middle school down the road and there was both a, a trans flag and a, a gay flag in the English class, my old English class. Well, dude, for tw- 11 and 12 years, childhood really? up until I became a legal adult at 18. Do you know what the age of consent to have sex with anyone of any age was in Canada? 14. 15. No, European well, that's, 16, that's man. European it was our conservative is, government in 1999 that raised the age of is consent. It? Maybe it was 2000, but they raised the age of consent to 16. Up until that, at, it was 14. And no, I mean, no, that's of but course, 11 that's and 12. Oh my God, I don't even want to think. But why is it a part of public schooling well, to groom the orientation? Mental illness, in my, pro- in my opinion. You know, uh, I don't. You like, think that's just far know, right? Honestly, far right I have hard time relating normalized to, in public. Uh, the public square. My beautiful Yankee American friends like yourself. I have a hard time relating when you guys talk far right and far left or right and left at all because we have a, a tripartite system in Canada, and so like we don't have this whole bifurcation of dualism in our politics. We don't. We have. We have two conservative parties who are called the conservatives and the liberals. Then we have a radical left party that's communist called the New Democratic Party. And then there's the Green Party. And then the other major party is the BC Marijuana Party. <laughs> like our, our Where, what, what Trudeau's a liberal. Is Trudeau? But, you know, I don't, like I don't even follow him. Who, when asked how many times, when he was asked how many times he's really he caused black havoc. and brown face in his life, he said, well, I don't know because, you know, it's so fun. Uh, how can I, you know, I'm fucking up his accent, but, um, and I love my Quebecois brethren and sisters, but, you know, he, he's, he's, 
right? Yeah, I mean, well, he was he he he's a lot more Ontario. Taught high school in Vancouver. That's when he was doing the brown face all the time. You know, they just did. They just thought it was sort of funny. Like I grew up in a part of Canada where there was no hmm. black people at all, no Asians. My family thought, oh, they just think different. They're not the same as us. And I was like, that feels wrong to me, you know. Um, but I want. Yeah, I think you guys are going to go know, through Canada, the quickest you know demographic Canada change in needs, world man. history. Canada too, needs like a hundred million Mexicans yesterday. And I really hope that doesn't get misinterpreted. But what I'm saying is, like, we have so much space. Do you know if you divide, if you separate every Canadian out across the country, equidistant to each other? And you know what equidistant means, right? Yeah, with 30, 30 million. Yeah, right? you guys have 34 million. Probably, probably, probably even less. You know, pro- maybe it's 34 million, maybe it's 25 million. Yep. It's hard to tell because we freeze to death all the time. <laughs> you know it gets so cold we die a lot and then in the summer for two months it gets so hot we don't have air conditioning because it's cold most of the time we die in the heat we die in the cold bears come and kill us every fucking day we're 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 fighting our for our lives there but my point is i'm sorry i don't want to exhaust your good humor um (laughs) my point is like we have all this space (laughs) if you separate all of us equidistantly we have there's 1.4 kilometers between every person in every direction right so we that's so much dude the next you know vancouver is an hour and a half from seattle it takes an hour and a half to get to seattle you know plus that's nothing that's plus the border traffic that's like nothing like there's of seattle I mean, yeah. Vancouver is really well, just an extension the whole West of, Coast, American, whole West Coast of North yeah, America. American band uh, metropolitan strip. put itself under its own flag, and that flag should probably have a fucking cannabis leaf on it with a bunch of DMT spice sprinkled around the edges for stars. <laughs> you know? With, with, right. Oh, it's so fucked here. It's not. I don't know. Cali's a dying like, state, Like, the second man. this lockdown happened, they tried to evict me because I was a foreign person. And they're like, yeah, let's get rid of this fucker. I had to get the fucking attorney general and the assistant district attorney to stop them from doing it. And that's after I had been teaching classes here for seven months. I should not have said all of this, but it's too late now. Anyway, moving on. What I want to say about Pizzagate and the the canadians so there was these two super evil billionaire canadians this husband and wife couple who uh were famously renounced by every newspaper as like the most heinous and despicable people you could ever meet right and they're billionaires and they were in bed with the clintons Mm -hmm. and they were about to turn over a bunch of evidence to the government and do you know what happened the next day inside their massive compound with security they were both found strangled sure. to death. This is a, around the same time that Chester Bennington yeah, been and a lot of cover up uh, Chris lately. Cornell were found dead, hung under mysterious circumstances. So, like, I don't know what to make of this shit. It's crazy. I know it's crazy. But what if? I mean, I wasn't really thinking about this much until the Epstein thing happened. But, like, it's just too fucking weird. And no one is talking about it fucking like a few people but no one not really everyone's just like let's just pretend it didn't happen
Well, what's crazy is that Epstein actually had huge ties with what was that woman's name? That's a oh, Mossad agent. I think this whole cabal has is intertwined with the banking, the banking families. It's the only way like they could get this cover well covered up with, um, you know, Israeli intelligence to quote Rogan, British MI six and CIA. Yeah, it is. It's entirely possible. And that's the only reason why she fled to Israel oh, is in order Gislaine? to Gislaine? not get investigated. In, uh, Gislaine, yeah. Oh, yeah, the fact Justine, that no, whatever. The, the fact that no one went after her and all the other that people That black-haired woman. The British royal family and stuff. I mean, and I, I'm, I'm long-term friends with, like, Jeffrey Lee Contreras, who is a big Martinist and Golden Dawn guy in Austin, Texas. He's been giving me all the goods on like the most advanced conspiracy theories since 1997. So I'm very familiar with what's out there and it takes a lot to make me suspicious, but let me, let me just, I let me, let's end on this, this, this agreement. Are you suspicious? That I think it's time for us all to be suspicious, just even a little bit. If we're not suspicious at this point in human history, Either we've bounced yeah. into the evil darkest timeline and simulation or well, we've got scales on our eyes and we need to cleanse them and free our vision because there's some serious fucking shit going on. We don't understand it and we need to start maybe paying a bit more attention okay. and maybe it might be time to actually cause some social change. Like... It might, there might be a time coming up where we yeah. need to get now, the fucking pitchforks out. Okay, so I'm going to end on this. And what I, everything we've talked about has relevance to what's going on in the present day right now. Now, I do have a theory that what we're going through with this pandemic is really a reaction that the oligarchs are taking when they lost control of the information last year. It got to the point where this is normal conversation now, you know, what we're talking about with cultural Marxism, political theory, what's going on with identitarianism, you know, the problems with the trans movement and just them being like the new ideal citizen. What if they lost the narrative to uh, over at least 15%, which is a lot in North America, into dissenting opinions, into conspiracy theory, to the point where this outcome of a pandemic had to happen in order for the whole world, whole Western world for that matter, to go under lockdown because they lost the information war. And the only reason why there was no gulag since World War II after the sexual revolution was because the intelligence communities were so good with media at having the norm be what, you know, their narrative that once the internet came into play and like videos like the Zetgeist or the esoteric agenda, or even things that just cause speculation to be worried, like to cause the everyday citizen to be worried and speculate has finally become the norm is when they finally put this pretense out on. No one can leave their house. Their gulag is the fear of the mind. 
and everyone's involved with it. This is the biggest, you know, this is bigger than than the god of mammon being the dollar. You know, the idea that money means something, this is in everyone falling for that, you know, the idea of the greenback actually having that that kind of uh, importance and value. Now this value is a health value and it's on a world state to the point of martial law on like this is the greatest feat that they've had because they they have no other choice this is almost like the last breath of of international usury being the main proponent towards um uh authoritarianism like in and in, in political control like it's no longer you know the cat's out of the bag we know who they are we know their names and it's normal conversation to have when it comes to basically kind of everything, like I said, everything we touched upon and what, how I'm ending it is we're kind of awakening into exactly the age we're going into, you know, Kabbalah's in initiation is what everyone wants to do now, you know, the rise of the Solomonic groups online and whatnot, Thurgy, it's becoming the new, revolution and the alternative to an, a dying veil of elusive, you know, tr- like, uh, what do you call it? Just the failure of narcissism. Narciss- yeah, narcissists falling into that puddle of, you know, embracing the selfish idea of the material god or the me uh, as the uh, consumer. Oh, structures I, I think are it's definitely falling collapsing. And I look forward to talking more with you about uh, the philosophical underpinnings that we were getting at with the you know, Frankfurt School with Habermas and all that. Like, I would like to get more into that. Actually, I'll, I'll send you my book, um, Ethics of Understanding God. I'd love for you to skim through it and maybe it's on, it's on, it's on Kindle. It's yeah. on Kindle. Is it up there it's, with it's like the ethics Gilson, of understanding God? Philosophy but of God, God is crossed out. God is, God is crossed out. That's crucial. It's not God. It's God with a strike through. Oh, really? No, no. It's so that's a philosophical technique. So it's the anti, uh, the anti from Jacques Derrida called speaking under erasure, and what it means is it's speaking of a term without its platonic metaphysical underpinning. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Hmm. I'd love to read it. I'd love to finish oh, your Jesus biography Christ. too, because I, I was I've, twenty I've pages so in and then uh, boom, unfinished like autobiographies. It's not even funny. I do it the most psychological self exercises, and then when I'm uh, tipsy, I show them to people who, uh, who uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we'll get tipsier because I do want to. I want to read about, about the 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 collapse of the of the lodge. I really do. <laughs> You know, it's one of the untold so stories. Of, it's, so, it's something that, it's like, so Eli Howe or like the, Francis the King the could not talk US about. US schism happened was so crazy. Oh, my God. It involved robbery. And it needs to, it needs to be said, man. Psychedelics, ego, narcissism. And here's the thing. It needs to be said, later, man. There's more than one. did the same thing to us. Did the same thing to Yeshi's order. And this shit just keeps going on. And why? Because, and I told him, I said to him, I feel bad, Yeshi. I feel bad because if I had stopped my protege when I had a chance, 
this wouldn't have happened to you 10 years later. But at the same time, I also said, I warned you at Dave Bodrick's wedding. I warned you. And he's like, I forgot. He's yes. She said, I am so he said, you will never understand how sorry I am that I forgot your warning about this guy. I forgot what you said. I let him in. And seven years later, he ripped us a new asshole. That's the great sin of our species, brother. We mm. forget our we forget our history. We forget our fucking Like I said, I mean it's a it's a schism that just you've you and you alone have only really put out there one once or twice to to the public. You know, anyone can get, you know, Magicians of the Golden Dawn by Ela Cow or Ritual Magic by Francis King and learn about the history of the first dawn. The first generation Donners, but the West Coast Donners is still a story I'd like to hear about because I've only seen the people and, and I've never seen that's what's the play. So fucked up, right? I only that's know about so the characters the and I've never seen. Knows the whole story. They're all still out there, but the only I still see them. You know? They're all the whole story is me. you're all there. It's yeah. so fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, I still get so, emails from Griffin. Let me. Let me end on this. So, I still get so his when mass from Europe, viral uh, emails uh, that he sends out. Middle last year, and I went to see Dean and hang out, you know, and just grab a few books, grab a few family photo albums and pictures, and get a few documents from my stuff in his storage. He got really drunk, and he pulled out a bag with my Sigillum de Ahmed on it, right? And, and, it, and like, I was like, where was this? You said you couldn't find it. He's mm-hmm. like, no, I just found it. And then... He looked at me, he's like, actually, I found it a while ago, and I wasn't going to show it to you. And I was like, what? And I realized how drunk he was, and I was, like, scared, physically scared for my life, because this guy clearly was lying to me about one of my most prized possessions. And he pulls out from his wallet, he says, this is why, and he pulls out of his wallet a membership in Griffin's Order. He said, this is who I am. This is who I've been all along. This is my. This is why the police can't arrest me because I'm with David Griffin. And I walked away. I, Damn, I walked... really. You know he's been like working with uh, Infowars. Uh, Leo Zagami. I don't want to hear the Italian uh, uh, reporter yeah. that I mean, Alex Jones. Alex is Jones talks like to a, like a comedian is entertaining, but you know. I know he was only relevant when the Bohemian Grove got let out. That was like one of the pillars that connected us to like where like council foreign relations and all the other pillars of the United States government kind of just did their like. Hey, their, don't get me wrong. I their love pseudo rituals releases CIA government documents on creating extra dimensional uh, scientific mechanisms for perceiving, you know, astral space or reading minds like it's you know like the CAA did a lot of crazy wacky shit and anyone who wants to leak those documents has my blessing like let's let's get into how crazy shit was i mean things were nuts like manson even I i'm just surprised he covers griffin send me those links on infowars you got to send me those links yeah, if I, I I'll look up Leo Zagami. He's like this, like the Italian mafia hates him. Like all his books get like censored in Italy, but he is one of the most um, recorded 
European reporters for wow. Infowars, and he wow. collaborates with Griffin. You know, Griffin. Griffin and, broke into my yeah, fucking. It's house really weird. Griffin I, like Griffin's been having Facebook shows with him on. So maybe I should. I should. Maybe I should. Yeah, that's crazy, right? Like that's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's so crazy. Like what the fuck? Dude? It's so crazy. Shit, man, dude, that shit. That's why I want to read your, your, your fiction, bio, man. Bro. Um, so. You know, and 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 every every girl I've read let read yeah. the whole thing always says, "Where's the rest? I need to read more." And I always say, "Why?" She's like, "Because it's the best thing I've read of yours." I'm like, "What about all my like academically acclaimed publications?" She's like, "They're always like, yeah, but this is just like the facts." I'm like, "Well, yeah, that's all it is. It's what happened to me." Like, you know, when you write an autobiography, the best way to do, it, in my opinion, is say, "This is what happened. This is what I did. This is how I felt." And then repeat the cycle. This is what happened. This is how I felt. This is what I did. And just keep going. Rinse and release. You know, like that's that's the whole thing. Like it's super simple, right? Just tell people what the fuck happened, how you felt about it, what you thought, what you did. That's the best way to write a biography. So you're saying Diener was a comedic order of the Golden Dawn copyright international operative? And I should have taken my shit with me right then and there, but oh, I was so sucks. scared. I just left. I was on my way to see my mom who's dying of cancer. I just couldn't handle whatever what the fuck he was going through. And honestly, I'm an optimist. I'm a lover, not a fighter. And I just thought he's going to sober up. He's going to tell it to me straight. We're going to sort everything out. But that did not happen. And he played nice with me until, you know, he started bragging about online about using my, you know, birth certificate and bank documents to hack my accounts while I was in Europe, which stranded me in Paris during, in, in France during the riots. Like I fucking almost died. I was, I collapsed in the street. No, I'm, yeah, I'm talking about like, you're March talking about the early uh, yellow vest protest. Like, I collapsed in. I was taken in an ambulance to a, uh, to loose emergency room and put through a gamut of testings that would have run easily 50 to a hundred thousand dollars in the States. And like, they were like, yeah, you, you almost died. And, uh, you know, that all happened because Dean fucking hacked my accounts and took all my money and fucking took all my property. And I have nothing left except what's in a backpack backpack in a room in front of me. I'm lucky. I have my elemental weapons. I have my Rose cross lawman and I have my, I have a very, very little, I don't even have a pair of pants. I, I have my nemesis. Yeah, well, you know, I actually wanted to mention You're that nemesis. earlier on. I have all, like, my hardcore <laughs> and I have all my, my hardcore stuff, you know, the things that are, are, are pretty cool. But what I wanted to say earlier, actually, on at the very beginning of this podcast was, um, you know, none of that stuff really, I mean, obviously none of it matters. But the, the, the most, yeah. Yeah, no, you're like Barton. What I'm saying is, you could just use a pencil at this point. That matters is what you're able to do with your will and your imagination. If you have your will and imagination, the tools don't matter. Nothing matters. I mean, I'd expect that. The physical manifestations. I'd expect uh, that you've had the experience to get to that level. Maybe. Uh, 
Like I said, you like barding. You can just go out to the park with your hands in your pocket and do what you got to do. That three books worth of 10 years of practice, obviously. Yeah, brother. Couldn't even surmount it. Flattering note, I thank you. I love you. I'd love to talk more about your progress in the Golden Dawn system the last two years. You and you and me have both gotten to to hang out with Chip yeah, Cicero we should definitely since we last first talked. Get focused. I'm gonna pour myself a whiskey. I'm gonna head over. Yeah, we we yeah, gotta talk I'm about go a lot head of over to the uh, Egyptian more hot anecdotal tub stuff under the palm trees and float for a, a bit before I go to sleep. I've been. I've... Yeah, it's three in the morning, motherfucker, and yeah, it's I'm almost, gonna go to bed. It's, it's ten to twelve for me, so I'm gonna go do a fifteen minute hot tub and then hop in the bed. And uh, yeah, I love you. It's really good to catch up with you. And let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, move on from here and get into some more personal magic. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now, hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk.